Welcome Space Monkeys. Today we're going to be covering Fight Club, both the book and the movie. Anti-content goes Fight Club. Exactly. Anti-content goes Fight Club. But what I wanted to start this episode off with, what I really wanted to do just to ease everyone into the vibe of, of Fight Club, both the book and the movie, is to start with a quote from the book. If you are reading this, then this warning is for you. Every word you read of this useless, fine print is another second off your life. Don't you have other things to do? Is your life so empty that you honestly can't think of a better way to spend these moments? Or are you so impressed with authority that you give respect and credence to all that claim it? Do you read everything you're supposed to read? Do you think everything you're supposed to think? Buy what you're told you to want. Get out of your apartment. Meet a member of the opposite sex. Stop the excessive shopping and masturbation. Quit your job. Start a fight. Prove you're alive. If you don't claim your humanity, you will become a statistic. You have been warned. Isn't there something similar at the start of the film? Kind of, but yeah, different, yeah. The, the, the film and the book, they do they do follow the same plot structure, but there are massive differences between the two. Right. But there are, the key differences are, like, for me, it's like, one, how psychotic Tyler is. He's way worse in the book. I mean, he kills people in the book. He um, kills the narrator's boss, and then he also kills the mayor's special envoy on recycling, whatever that is. And in the book, there's in the book, no one dies, like, apart from Bob, obviously. Yeah. No one dies. It, it, even at the end of the film... Tyler goes, oh, you know, all of the buildings that we are targeting, they're empty, and anyone who might be in them is one of our people. Um, this isn't the case in the book. He has the attitude of, if you want to make an omelette, you're going to need to break a few eggs. But then, saying that, Project Mayhem's target is completely different too. In the film, it's very anti-capitalist, let's reset credit. Yeah. Whereas, in the book... It's just, I want to become a martyr. So I'm going to blow up this museum. We're going to have this huge building fall on the museum. Let's wipe the slate clean. Kill history. There's nothing came before us. And then I will be a martyr to this cause of destruction and chaos. Is basically mm. what Tyler wants. So when you compare those two, yeah. like, there's some vast, vast differences. But outside of those differences, Marla, I guess, there's a lot of differences with her. She's way more well-defined in the book. You kind of feel sorry for her in the book. Whereas in the movie, she is kind of a nuisance. She's in the fucking way. Like, she's a, yeah, she just constantly turns up all the time. Yeah, it was, whereas... Plot convenience more than anything else. Yeah, and also, like, her reasoning for going to the group therapy meetings, yeah. right, in the book, is because she had a cancer scare. Ah. And so she went to one um, one of these meetings because she had breast cancer, like, or she had this breast cancer scare, which is how she then get hooked on going to the meetings in the same way the narrator has. But for her, it, it wasn't because she's lying like him. It's because she actually had a scare. So that's, that's brought she, up in the film. She thinks she has a lump. Eh? She th yeah, later. But in the novel, she already had one ever before we ever see her, right? So it changes her motives a little. Her reasoning for going is because she thought she was dying and only in confronting death did she feel alive, which ties into the story's main point. And to quote, right, it's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything. But to what you were saying about the narrator checking her breast in the movie, that's also in the book, 
but he finds a lump and then Marla wants to ignore it. She doesn't want to confront the fact that this could be, that she could have something inside her that's going to kill her. In the film, she doesn't have a, a, a lump and her motives, well, her motives is, is cheaper than a movie and there's free coffee, which is a very funny line, but it doesn't give an insight into her character. However, you know, Helena Bottom Carter's portrayal of Marla is basically iconic at this point. Yes. Like, so you, I can't fault her acting, her ability, how she looks. Uh, I think she's sort of like proto-ego almost, like way before that was a thing, this mm. sort of messed up shitty hair and second-hand raggedy clothes, you know. <laughs> Rewatching the film today, because I, I didn't have time, because we decided this literally like a week ago we were going to do this. I had time to sit down and read the book again. It's been, so it's been a good little while since yeah. I've read the book. Rewatching the film today... Yeah, just that scene where she, uh, when he's talking to her about what what days they're going to divide up the meetings into, so they don't cro- cross each other's path. She just goes, empties out someone's washing machine, yeah. and then just goes and sells the clothes for money and shit like that. But it's, it, there's really good touches in the film that obviously aren't in the book, and I, all that goes to from from interviews with Chuck. A lot of that goes down to Fincher himself, right? The director will just come out with stuff. Um, there's a famous line in the movie that originally how Chuck writes and we were, we were going to talk a lot about his writing style and like what he likes to do is he likes to say something you shouldn't say yeah so he likes to write in inverse so it's like in a moment what is the worst thing I could say to you in that moment or no what is the thing that everyone says in that moment when they leave the house I love you mm. it would be like fuck you would be the what yeah. you know what's the opposite of it so when she first sleeps with Tyler in the book she says I want to have your abortion that's right and then in the film she says I've been fucked like that since grade school <laughs> yeah. which is still very much out of left field because yeah. you literally see he does like the fourth wall break where he just looks at the camera like <laughs> what the fuck yeah. and the reason that happened is because the executives went ain't no fucking way we're having her say the abortion line in the movie yeah and then even Brad Pitt came to Chuck and was like listen my mum's gonna watch this I can't <laughs> I can't have that in there so they took it out then they filmed it with that line and the execs came back and went can we swap it back for the abortion line please <laughs> <laughs> was that written did, did like Fincher write Fincher that Fincher wrote that yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure she ad-libbed it or something no, like no, that no no Fincher wrote that he came up with it and Chuck was like that's really fucking good so yeah. that does that's perfect it's, it's very hands on I think like uh, Chuck is on all the credits for the movie so. I, I heard that Chuck didn't like the film or he just did or he didn't like the ending yeah, there's think, something he didn't like about it I, I think with writers I think it's always the case like I don't know any writer who's gone I'm happy with that well, Stephen King doesn't like The, the Shining eh? no he, I mean, he hates it. They fell out over it and everything. Like, but, it, but, the, but the ending of The Shining, the film, is a hell of a lot better than the book. The book's yeah, ending is shit. He kind of falls down on endings sometimes, you know? Well, he, takes that, he makes that joke in uh, It Chapter 2 when yeah. he's in it. Makes that joke because yeah. he is notoriously shit at ending a book. I think most writers are, though. Like, I think, you know, the ending of Fight Club, as we were talking about the differences, I don't think the ending is... I, I like the sort of end end, the, almost like the end credit scene in the book, but I don't like the ending of it. Oh, they, they fucked up the bomb and it's not going to work. And he did it almost, almost as if Tyler did that on purpose, you know. Tyler states he's never been able to make a bomb work using paraffin, and then it's revealed at the end he used paraffin for his final attack and a bomb fails whereas in the movie there's this, there's that great scene with all the fucking buildings falling down he's like you met me at a very strange time in my life yeah whereas the ending of the book it doesn't go off and then the narrator describes heaven to us which we soon learn is actually an asylum and he's just high on antipsychotics and just as the uh, the book is about to end he mentions every now and then he, he will see an orderly 
And he'll have a blasted nose or a black eye. And those orderlies will look at him and they'll, be, they'll, they'll whisper things to him. And they'll be like, thank you, sir. We can't wait to have you back, sir. We can't wait to see you again, Mr. Durden. Which shows us as the reader that his legacy, it ain't over. You know, his legacy can't end. Like he started something that he cannot finish it. Oh, it's, not, it's bigger than them now. Yeah, he's, he, that point. he's gone beyond it. So the main reason I wanted to do this was like for two reasons. One, I just put the book down when you said, what, what are we going to do for our next <laughs> okay. episode? Okay, right? so you literally and just reread it. Huh, I've just reread Fight Club and it's on our list of things to do. We've been wanting yeah. to do a book for a while. We've got a few of them written down. American yeah. Psycho, Battle Royale. Battle Royale. You know, and so and I was like, okay, well, that's an e- it's an easy one to do because even if time is off it's a very easy movie to talk about mm. because it's it's an iconic movie and a big thing again is why i said that is i don't think i go a day without seeing either tyler meme a quote or some reference to fight club like the first rule is or someone being called a snowflake it's not just fight club while i'm at you know there's memes of you know ryan goslin patrick bateman daily like i see these daily um, I see them more than I see Fight Club ones, really. Do you know what? I don't really see Tyler Durden yeah, ones. Yeah, I, I see a lot of Tyler Durden ones, or just like Fight Club quotes under another picture and stuff like that. Mm, like, sometimes. Um, and yeah, and at the moment, recently, I've seen a lot of Tyler ones where they're like videos on YouTube shorts of Tyler's like, iconic lines like, you are not your job. You are not how much money you have in the bank. You are not your car you drive. You are not the contents of your wallet. You are not your fucking... F- car keys you are the all singing all dancing crap of the world and i'll check the comments and it'll be the younger generation like gen z and they're almost in all of all of it they'll be just like going oh man this is so true like oh, what when when did this, the 90s was so different like are they of, literally are they people just discovering fight club yeah the young men just discovering fight club but it's almost taken on its own meaning because like with the patrick bateman memes they they do not make sense to the book at all oh they no, almost the- worship like revere him are you, you, know? you oh, there's like there's a constant one, especially TikToks now, where it's like me walking to work, and it's literally Patrick Bateman with his headphones on in that scene in the film. But it's whatever music they're listening yeah. to. Yeah, like, and, it, and it's like they don't understand the character almost. Or, I mean, Brett Easton Ellis said it when he was t- spoken about the Bateman memes, and they said, you know, Bateman. Uh, he said, you know, Tyler Durden. There's a lot of memes about him. They they mentioned Ryan Gosling, and he said sometimes you create a piece of art. And once you do it, it becomes its own thing. Oh, it becomes its own entity, yeah. And, and you know, Tyler Durden, he's probably the lesser of those three, for sure. At um, the minute, yeah. At the minute. Because Gosling, obviously, has just got he's always got new films coming out. So that's why he can always be refreshed. And, and, and I'll throw Breaking Bad on there as well. Blade Runner 2. This is sort of, you know, Gosling adjacent. But I'll see some Roy Batty memes, you know, Blade Runner stuff, every so often as well. Andrew Tate, another one. I see a lot of memes of him in. And almost, lot, almost just taking the piss out of him, though. No, a lot of them are, like, quoting him and sitting there going, you oh, know, like, oh. um, picture of him smoking a cigar with loads of money, and it'll be like, me, if being lonely and depressed, paid by the hour. <laughs> and it's I'm, and I've been trying to sort of, like, distill down why that is uh, for this episode. Like, what is it? Jordan Peterson, another one, right? What is it that young men... We're not young men anymore. We're like in the middle age. Now, right? Right. But it. what is it that young men are picking up on from these characters? Like, what is it that they're? Because I think we're 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 at this. I think we're at this stage in life, especially like with Jordan Pierce, about how men are so put down these days that they're they're discovering these alpha male fucking characters yeah. like Tyler Durden, like Patrick Bateman, in that aspect of. 
Like, you see that certain side of Patrick Bateman, you know, his physique and how he looks after himself and how he, he cares for himself. He, he respects yeah. himself in that aspect. And I think they're finding, like, they're finding subtle, they're finding these elements in these characters to kind of, like, cling to him and sort of like ways to model themselves, not realising that they are, those two especially, are complete fucking psychopaths. But the weird thing about it is, is that's kind of what the story of Fight Club is about. Right. So yeah, it's, it's the narrator a, wanting to be a, a, a better, a more attractive, better person. Yeah. So there's a book, right? It's one of my favourite books. It's called Iron John, and it's written by a poet called Robert Bly. Iron John. Iron John, and it is the Brothers Grimm story of Iron John, which is about this, you know, brutish ogre-like man covered from head to toe in fur, of which they, you know, they call him the Wild Man. And this wild man, he's trapped inside a cage in this castle by a king. And the young prince, he loses his ball and it rolls inside the cage. And a wild man says to him, Oi, listen, I'll give you your ball back if you fucking let me out of the cage. Well, he doesn't swear, but, you know, I do. Uh, the young prince, obviously, he's like, oh, fuck it, I agree to this, you know. And he goes to his mother, his mother has the key, and he steals it from under her pillow and he lets him out. But then the kid, he's like, oh, shit, I, I, I fucked up here. Like, all the alarms are ringing. Everyone knows the wild man's out. I can't go back to my family anymore. Thus, he follows the wild man into the woods. It is revealed, right? The wild man, he's named Iron John, which is why the story's called Iron John. And uh, he, he teaches this kid how to survive, how to hunt, fight, so on, right? And uh, he, he shows this kid his magic lake. Right, that's not a euphemism for his bummer or anything like that. He shows this kid the magic lake, and it turns anything it touches into gold. And he says to the boy, "Look, don't let anything fall in there." Uh, but the boy, he fucks up. Like he's looking at his reflection. His fucking air touches the water, and it turns to gold. And Iron John goes, "Oh, you fucking idiot! Like, don't do that again." And years later, the boy's like, "You know, listen to the wild man. Best not let anything fall in there." But then he's playing with the key that let the wild man out. And he drops it, and it fucking rolls into the lake. And they are, and the, the Iron John's just like, nah, mate, fuck off. Like, you're exiled, right? Get out of here. Go back to the kingdom. Um, but Iron John, he, he's not a prick. Like, he, he goes, I'm not giving you empty-handed. Here's a chest full of stuff. And uh, Iron John says to him, and if, if you're ever in doubt, come back to the edge of the forest and fucking ask me questions. And I'll see if I can help you. So once he's back in the ki kingdom, there's war going on. And, uh, you know, the people, the, the, his father's men and the knights and that, they're losing. So the boy is now a young man and, and he's been trained up by this, this Iron John and he wants to fight. So he goes to the woods and he's like, listen, Iron John, I, I need help. I want to fight. And then he's given a horse and he's given some armor. And uh, the young man, he, he still fears that he betrayed his family all those years ago. So he, he goes, I'm the golden knight because my golden air flows out of it. And he goes into battle, and lo and behold, he's fucking really good, and he wins the war. And then the king is like, well, who the fuck is this golden knight who, who won the war for us? Like, why won't he talk to us? Why won't he let us know who he is? And the king says, right, I will give anyone loads of money, You can have my and you can have my daughter's hand in marriage um, if you capture this knight and you reveal his identity to me. So the young man, he, he deliberately lets himself get caught so he can reveal to the king, he doesn't marry his sister, but he reveals to the king that he is the long-lost son. And then he tells the king the tale of Iron John. And in doing so, and in, in telling him, right, uh, he then opens this chest. And the chest then frees Iron John from the curse uh, that turned him into this ogre-like wild man. Because he himself was a prince years and years ago. And um, this story is an allegory for becoming an adult, becoming a man. For yeah. men, right? right? And even though, you know... Uh, 
Chuck Polinick says this himself. Um, it's just that in, even in the hero's journey, you know, Luke has to find Obi-Wan to move forward in the hero's journey. You know, Luke Skywalker. To find that mentor. He needs to find that mentor. And that for boys to fully become men, they need to find dad number two. They need to live Especially, especially if dad number one is shit or absent. Well, then it's even worse if that's the case, which we're seeing more and more of. But you, one, at some point in life, you have to reject your father, right? And you have to have your father recognise you as a man. Mm-hmm. This is just, you're not a little boy anymore, you are a man. But you also need to be able to have another man who can teach you things that is not your father. Sometimes it's just being an apprentice, right? And you're just, and it's very simple, but you can see it sometimes with building sites and stuff like the young lad comes in he don't know anyone but you take him under your he gets taken under the wing of one of the older guys he gets better and he gets he changes right it changes him having been an apprentice my dad was my teacher so i couldn't escape that couldn't escape it. <laughs> it's, it's like one of these pivotal things but sometimes and i think you know a, a guy like jordan peterson has become that mentor for a lot of guys for a lot of guys because sometimes you can't always go to your dad with stuff but this as is the, well, you know, like thing, sometimes there's stuff that he doesn't, he loves you too much to tell you certain things, you know? Yeah, to be too honest. The thing with Peterson, like, is he, he's been getting a lot of bad rap over the past year or two from people. But all I've ever seen from him is him trying to tell, like, trying to get people to be better, trying to get men to be better. But, and it, but people seem to hate him for it, or feminists hate him for it. Yeah, because he's trying to make men feel better about themselves. And, and all you have to do is look at modern media, like this new Indiana Jones film for example, which I've not seen. But the reviews are, he's just a washed up old man. This hero of yours is washed up. And a young woman needs to come along and upstage him. And we saw that with Luke Skywalker in Ray. with Ray, oh, Because this is how they're writing. You know, they write now that the woman has to be better than the guy always. And any guy you could have ever looked up to. I mean, Mark Hamill, if you've ever seen interviews with him talking about it, he despises what they did to Luke. Oh, he literally said in interviews before, he said that he... When Ryan, Ryan Johnson came to him with the script, he goes, just to let you know, I'll do this because I signed up for it. Yeah. But I, dis- professional. I, yeah. I, I disagree with everything you've done with, my, with, with the character. You fucked Luke up. Yeah. You have not done it. Luke, Luke was meant to represent hope. The reason it's called A New Hope yeah. is because Luke represents hope. He would never give up on that hope. He watched his fucking aunt and uncle die. He watched his mentor, two mentors die. In Obi Wan and Yoda, yeah, he then reconciled with his father for him to die, and never gave up hope because yeah. that's what he represents, right? And now that's all been undone. And going back to you know this book, Iron John, Tyler is to the narrator what Iron John is to the boy. He's taken the narrator away from his mundane life as a bored, worthless consumer in a job that he hates, and through his twisted form of mentorship turns the narrator into a man. The second the apartment is destroyed, much like with the boy freeing the wild man from the cage, there's no turning back to your former life. You can't be that little prince anymore. You can't be the endless consumer buying IKEA furniture and fucking not eating food and sitting on planes and doing fuck all. You can't be that anymore. Eating the crappy meals. Yeah, you, you, you have left that behind. So let me teach you these things. And, you know, both in the movie and in the book, Tyler teaches him a lot. I mean, there's so many good lines in both. Like when the uh, narrator is talking about single-serving friends and he says, and I'm going to read, I'm going to quote this, everywhere I travel, tiny life, single-serving sugar, single-serving cream, single pat of butter, 
the microwave cordon blur hobby kit, shampoo conditioner combos, sample packaged mouthwash, tiny bars of soap, the people I meet on each flight, their single serving friends. And when he tries to, you know, impress Tyler with his musing, Tyler goes, oh, that's, that's very clever. So how's that working out for you? And he's like, what? What, what, what do you mean? He's like, being clever. And it, it's lesson number one. Being smart, being clever, it, it isn't enough. Yeah, yeah. You know, the narrator, yeah, the narrator is sarcastic and funny. and He is kind of smart. He's not an idiot, right? But what does it, it gets him nowhere. Well, he's, he's, working an, he's working an overstressed job, probably severely underpaid, and lives in a fucking crappy apartment. Well, that, that he's literally spent loads of money on fucking furniture. Yeah. It's like the line he goes um, when he's on the phone to the copper and he's like, it's like, that was my life. I loved every single piece of furniture. I know he's being sarcastic in it, but I think there's a certain point of it. He's like, that's all I had. It is all he had. And he says, it's like, I was almost complete. There's another yeah. line he says. I think he says it to Tyler. He's like, yeah, I was he does. almost complete. Yeah. And, and Tyler just sort of looks at him like, fuck off. Like, complete. Why do you want to be complete? And um, one of the things I was thinking of was sitting there like, I was watching that show... Um, TV shows, it's a random thing that came on. It's a woman who goes around people's houses, right? This Japanese woman, she fucking helps them tidy up. Okay, like Kim and Aggie? Something, yeah. She's, she's like a famous um, Japanese woman. She's on Netflix. You see the memes that go, this one sparks joy, this one does not. Uh, uh, right? Possibly, yeah. Yeah, she just tidies houses. Like She gets people to tidy their own house. It's just a... She goes to hoarders' houses yeah, or just people in general? Just people in general. Like, I've got all my dead husband's clothes. Oh, uh, okay. You know, and all, loads of stuff. And So she does this thing, it's basically tidying up their house, right? And there's another show that was called like The Minimalist or something where he was like, what he would do to people, he'd go around their house and go put everything you own in a box in the living room. If you have not opened the box to get it out, throw it away in 10 days. Hmm. In 10 days, if you've not gone to get it, you don't need it. And he says everything, you close everything, go in there. Because you'll find this shit that you just do not touch. So why have you got it? Uh, right? Yeah. And then I sat there for what, like how many people just inherit shit they don't want from people that die and they just keep it in the garage doing nothing? Not so much that, so my missus is like that. It's all, she uses the word sentimental value quite yeah. a lot. It's like, oh, yeah, I keep it because sen- I'm sentimental towards it. I was like, but you've never used it in the 10 years we've been together. Yeah. Literally, some items is like, the first time I've seen this is when you put it there. So, why? Why do we still have this in the house? Yeah. I mean, I, I, was, I was bad at one point. Like, I, we had to sort out pretty much all of my DVD collection because I don't watch fucking DVDs anymore. I got I got streaming platforms and everything now. So, why would I buy DVD? Why do I buy DVDs? And so I literally had to go through six full boxes of DVDs that I'd accumulated over the years before streaming platforms came in. I'm just like, I've kept my favourite films just to have them, just a certain one, and just binned off everything else. Yeah, it's 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 like if you were to drop dead tomorrow, Scott. Your shit gets thrown away. Oh mate. fuck yeah, it does. That's just the truth of it, right? And that's, yeah. And so then you sit there and think these people consume, con, you know, con, um, compile shit. Yeah. Their entire lives, and then it just gets binned. We we're all hoarders what, in a way. So what is it worth? And it's been something I've been thinking about a lot since rereading it, and especially writing my own, my own book as well. And uh, you know, and I'm looking at stuff I own, right? And I'm like, do I need any of it? Like, what do I need now? We sat in the studio, which is full of fucking stuff, and it needs a bit of a clean. Well, you got all your fucking bloody figurines of all anime characters and vid films and shit like and that. And the only ex- the only excuse I have for in here is it's a creative space. Yeah. So I want to look at stuff that helps me feel creative, stuff that's inspired me, things like that. And 
But outside of that, like, there's loads of shit I've just binned recently. I'm just going, why the fuck do I own this? Like, Those Final Fantasy own? games are probably worth about 100, 200 quid a pop now because they're like original PS1 versions. Yeah, yeah, PS1. And then I've got on top of old Johnny Silverhand, I've got uh, 10, 10 to 11 on the Xbox because it never came out on the PS2 over it. And then 12 as well. I've got a few others hidden around somewhere, like fucking all sorts of shit. Hidden Where's around. all your copies of Final Fantasy 13? I've got them. They're just not out yet. Like, I will put them all out in, eventually. But, um, yeah, it's just we can comp- we just consume so much shit. Yeah, but I do sometimes look around. I was like, do get rid of some of this shit. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like my nan, I never um, think it looks depressing. I'm just like, eh, there's some shit in here. My nan used to do it all the time. She'd be like, why is there so much clutter? And I'm like, nan, you keep putting more shelves up. Mm. The more shelves you put up, the more shit you find to put on. Yes, you know, you feel the need because there's a shelf. It needs to be full of something. And obviously, you want to be proud of your home and how it looks. But like, there comes a point where you are just buying shit to buy shit. And oh, I yeah. think I think a big part of that sort of message in Fight Club of that part of it, the, the people call it anti-capitalist. I'd say it's more anti-consumer. It's definitely anti-capitalist. Than, than anti-capitalist. It's, it's but not see, so- that film and that book both have a massive consumer, uh, very anti-capitalist and anti-consumerism. They're massively. But I think that the consumer side of it is bigger. I think it's more it, like the fact that all we do is consume bullshit, watch shit on TV, because like you know that's not a capitalist thing. Watching shit on TV buying shit furniture like all of it is like what eating shit food why why do we do it shit food's convenient because it's one it's cheaper yep you go to, you go to mcdonald's for example that's cheap as fuck and you get a happy meal which is like what a couple of quid or a fucking salad which is a fiver what are you going with you can get more for your money by getting a burger and chips than you can with getting a fucking salad yeah it's like they've designed i guess you could call that the capitalist system has been designed in a way to keep us Docile. Yes. That's that's what it's done. It's everything it's got. You know, everyone's got a phone in their hand. I'm good with my phone. Like, obviously, right now I'm looking at it, but that's because I've got my notes on it. But I'm pretty good with it. I'm pretty good at, like, I wasn't with Facebook. Facebook was one I'd waste time on, and that's why I deleted it, right? I'd just waste a lot of time on it. I'd sit there, maybe it'd be an hour, and I'd be like, what the fuck am I doing? Just fucking saying random shit. With things like Twitter, I can literally post something and put my phone down. I don't have to sit there and look at it, or, or... scroll through stuff as soon as I post I'm out like at the minute I'm quite bad for TikTok yeah. simply because I keep finding shit that interests me well it does it knows the algorithm it knows it's got my algorithm down so it literally it keeps showing me fucking conspiracy theorists fucking ghost and horror stories yeah it knows what you're into and fucking you know just, like damn I'm, these bitches shaking their asses aren't working on him we need to find something else yeah yeah I'm not interested in shit like that so on, on that platform it's kind of like right give me Give me something that I can enjoy, and then, you know, at the minute I've been there's this, there's this guy who's been making like fucking Pokemon TikTok where he's been reimagining all the gym leaders from Gen One. All day, every day, every single fucking human in the West is just literally consuming shit. Look at all these riots and shit that be going on in France and the East. I think Japan's quite bad for that. Oh, Japan's really bad. And China. But I guess we kind of can. We kind of can. It's the whole world, really, apart from maybe most well, of the, Africa. Yeah, the poor, the poorest countries that don't have that shit. But but I'd imagine, right? And that people would sit there and go, "There's starving kids in Africa. There's this. There's that." Yeah, that's true. There is. But they like they call it like the median happiness or something is based on where you live. And when they test these places, these little villages and stuff, how happy people are, they're fucking ecstatic. Like, they're all really smiley people, happy people. They've got no worries in the world. They're not sitting there arguing with some cunt about what gender is and if women can fucking have cocks or not. Like, they're just, they just, they go and do their stuff, which means they live. But a lot of the time, they chill out. They spend this family time. 
they're playing like football and sports with each other, kicking a little ball around. You know, the men go out hunting and there's a lot of bonding between them and all that. And that, I think that what we've, what we are missing, a big thing we are missing in the world, and Fight Club touches on that huge, is rough play. <laughs> well, because everyone says that's gay, right? But you think about like, when you're a kid, you're allowed to sort of bundle on your mates and have a little roll around and all that. Oh, mate, I remember at school, in the lunch hours and that, especially when we were younger, playing fucking British Bulldog in our lunchtime. Yeah, you're just bashing, you're bashing <laughs> into each other, tackling <laughs> each other. And that. Yeah, it literally is a, it is a game of literally getting tackled by someone else to, yeah, to get you involved. Everyone piles on you and, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's like, we always used to do that, right? And then I think that like if you look at other animals, they do it all the way through their life. Well, you see docu- animal documentaries and it's literally the cubs or the pups of like a certain animal and literally they've got multiple and they're always just playing, yeah. play fighting and rolling around but with each other. But when they become adults, they still challenge each other here and there and have a little tear up, especially with apes, which are closest to us. They fight all the time, but yeah. they they do it in a way where they're not trying to kill each other. They're just, it's something they do. Like yeah. It's how they learn. They jockey, they wrestle with each other. They fucking throw each other about and they, they you know, and then they submit and that's it. We used to do that, humans. And mm. We don't fucking do that anymore. And I think for the cycle of like becoming an adult, you're meant to do active shit. Like you're meant to have something in your life that makes you feel that way. hobbies. Which is why these men get so much out of finding Fight Club because it it brings that out in them. Or why do they feel so good after having a fight? And I, I don't know if you've ever had a punch up as an adult or went into a scrap. Um, you do kind of feel good afterwards. Like you let some out, or even if it's just. Martial arts sparring. You feel so, good afterwards, right? So, yeah, when I used to do Kung Fu, what well, the last five minutes, our, um, our mentor would always do some sparring. And like me and my mate, Ash, it used to be always be me and him because we started around the same time and we always trained together. So we would always hold the bag for each other because we knew what we knew the other one could take it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it used to come to the sparring. Me and him had pretty much a competition of who could, who won the most, most sparring matches. Can't remember who won now, but like it got to the point where me and him would literally go five minutes, and neither would win. We'd literally keep reversing yeah, each so other, and, it, and, it, and always, I always left feeling good because it was fun. Because you kind of geezers are meant to do it, and we don't. It, like we've allowed society to, I don't know, like one make that gay. That's a big thing. Make something like that gay. Like geezers having a rollabout, like is gay. A lot of people would judge you. If you just said, I'm my spare time and have a couple of lads around around my fucking garage, we're going to throw some mats down and just pound oh, on each other. Go to town on each other. Someone would sit there and go, you what? You fucking what? Yeah, you would. Yeah, that's what people would It's think. not about your wording. But it's kind of essential, like, in terms of, like, letting shit, like, where else do we let that out as men if we're not doing anything physical? But where do these incelly guys, where do they go? Like, And not just incels, like, so many young men now just cannot meet women. There's just no way that like women sit there and go, well, if you're not earning 200 grand a year, I don't want to know you. Well, it's, it's sort of that, or you're literally taught now that if you chat to a girl, you're obviously a rapist. You get taught a lot of that. So when you look at like a character like Tyler, like he doesn't give a fuck about any of those social norms. And remember, this was written and, um, and the movie came out in the 90s. Yeah. Like this situation that they're talking about has got so much worse by now. So much worse. Because, I mean, this was written without taking the internet into consideration. Well, the internet wasn't really a thing at that point. It existed, but it wasn't culturally what it is now. And, you know, I just, I just look at it and like, think about masculinity as a whole. Which, in reality, that's what Fight Club is about. It's about masculinity. It's about being a man, figuring out what it is to be a man in the modern world. And 
kind of going with the flow and being unapologetic about modern society, about men essentially being neutered, becoming cattle, and you know facing that head on, you know. Yeah, no, agreed. And it's weird when you see, you know, you make something and that that challenges that. That some people simply see what they want to see and they, they ignore the message or the intentions. Like many people claim the book is a critique on toxic toxic masculinity. But Chuck himself has said that's nonsense. It's about finding your own masculinity and not hiding from it, which is why I wanted to quickly touch on, you know, what masculinity is. So let's just go physical strength and body image. Most men can agree. Yeah, they agree. Most men can agree that that is something that men see as a masculine thing. Your your physical strength and your body image Yeah, is a huge part of your identity as a man. To be literally ripped to shreds, like physically, you know, abs fucking popping, massive definition in your muscles, and to be strong as fuck. Yeah, or, or even if you're just a huge, big fucking bear cunt, like me and you are, like just a big bear. Yeah. But again, it, go, it plays into that. It's masculine. It, it's you know, Bob in the in the film, even though even though he's been emasculated with his bitch tits, has to rediscover what it's like to be a man because there could have been no one more manly than Bob before this happened uh, to him. Because he's a bodybuilder. Because he was a bodybuilder. But he had, and he has no testicles either. And he has no testicles, yeah. He's, been, he's the emasculated man rediscovering his masculinity. Um, and you see he's been humbled by it as well. Completely humbled by it. And he, and, but I feel like even Bob is like a metaphor for modern men. Oh, by, by, especially by today's standards. By today's standards. Everybody's overweight. Everyone, everyone's a Bob. Everyone is Bob. Emasculated, low testosterone. Bitch tits. Low, low fucking sperm count. I think the sperm count is something like between our, our grandfather's generation to now, they had something like a 1,200 sperm count and our generation have like 400 sperm count. It's a fucking giant thing, and 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 they're saying that food is definitely a part of that. Processed food is fucking you food, up for sure. But they said that just the modern suppression of your fucking testosterone. You can't say alcohol because people drank a lot more, a lot worse no, stuff yeah, than, than, than we do drink. now. No, it, it's it's the it's the suppression of being masculine that they reckon that's had a part of it. So you've got like you know, so Fight Club does look very much at the obsession of looking good like there's lots of points where they kind of mock looking good for the sake of it mm. if it's not worth if, it, if it's not practical if you look at Jared Leto character he's much the pretty boy yeah and, and he wants to destroy him because he looks good but there's there's the homoeroticism in that yes. there's a bit of jealousy and a bit of gayness in that. Yeah. and the book I mean Chuck is a gay guy Yes, but the book, the way Tyler meets him in the book, oh, it's on the so new, Brett, Brett Alice's yeah, Brett, yeah, it's weird. Oh. Yeah, my two favorite authors are both gay men, and they write incredibly masculine. I knew, I knew Brett was because you'd mentioned it last time we did, we last time we recorded you done. I didn't know that then because I really, look, I've never really looked into their. It's not really something you really tend to need to know. Yeah, it's. it's and just, I didn't realize Chuck was either. Well, it, because they don't come across gay, if that makes sense. Neither of them in interviews you could go, oh, "That's how a gay man sounds." Like, <laughs> he sounds. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He's not mincing. Yeah, He's not yeah, going, yeah, yeah. "Oh, hi guys." That like, neither yeah. of them do that. They're just they're they're like almost normal men that also happen to be gay, which is how it used to be. Yeah. You know, there was never this stereotype queerness that we see now. Yeah. But. You know, there's a great part in the in the movie where uh, the the guy who does cinema sins pointed it out as a negative, and I'm like, well, you're obviously a dumb motherfucker. Where Tyler looks at this Calvin Klein model on the bus, and he goes, "Is that what a man's supposed to look like?" And he's got his abs out, and he's in his underpants. Yeah, that's right. Then the very next scene is him standing up from a fight, ripped like that, and he's yeah. like, "See, they're, they're they're hypocritical," and it's like, 
that's the point. Like you're missing the point. It's yeah, like especially when you especially when you're supposed to when you find out that it's in that that Tyler is in the narrator's head and he's imagining it. That is literally exactly the point. Because why wouldn't you? And at that time, Brad Pitt was literally the hottest man on the planet. I think like a few years just before the movie, he was even voted the world's sexiest man. You know, so of course you imagine yourself as the hottest guy in the world. Like, why wouldn't you imagine yourself as the hottest guy in the world? And he's a fucking good looking. Even now, he still looks good, Brad Pitt. Oh, I mean? I see. Like, my missus doesn't see it. No, no, she doesn't. She doesn't think it at all. But ninety-five and two thousand. So the year after and uh, four years before. Why wouldn't you imagine yourself as the hottest man in the planet? Yeah, as if it would be Jason Momoa. But yeah, like you know, so we we've got that the exploration of like obsessed with how you look versus the practicality of it, which is a big part of of Fight Club. That you know, there's a line it go. It become a reason to keep your hair short. It became a reason to cut your nails. Mm. You know, the reason to look after yourself is fighting. But, but going back to going back to Bob, a former bodybuilder used the steroids to enhance himself, which caused him to have his problems. So his obsession with his look, rather than the practicality, is what led him down the path of because and steroids do shrink your testicles. Yes, they do. Penises, that's, that's, well that's fact. Um, led him into the path that caused him with the testicular cancer and all this shit. So his obsession with looking a certain way, rather than trying to be a certain way to be a man or to fend off enemy or, you know, Tyler's very, this is not what meant. We're meant to be men. We're meant to be cavemen. We're meant to fucking fight and kill. And that's what we're meant to do. Yeah. Because Bob was the opposite. He paid, he paid for it. And not only did he lose, did not only did he grow bitch tits and lose his testicles, he lost his wife and his kids. Yeah. You know, the whole point of Bob's obsession with himself, with his body led to his ultimate downfall. Yeah, so that's just that's just the body aspect of it. So then we've got violence as a form of expression, mm. which you hear from UFC fighters as well. They almost talk about it like an art form. Well, when you watch some of them fight, it, it, is. Is, it is an art form. It is, you know. Like uh, I still remember Conor McGregor hitting who was it? I think it was a uh, Jose Aldo. I can't remember, but he hit him with a huge punch from right out the gate. That wasn't the time you won the title off of the. See Portuguese or Brazilian, and it was what they, like, I remember. They'd, they'd been building for a couple of weeks, and they'd been chatting shit to each other the whole fucking time. And they came right out of the gate. The guy went for it is a, that, the, um, the, Aldo. It might be yeah. The, the guy went fight, for a yeah. punch, and Craig had just literally just moved and then clocked him, and he was down. It was done in less than thirty. And seconds. everyone was shocked by it. And then footage came of him backstage practicing that the slight dodge and then throwing out the punch, and he was shadow boxing that one move over and over and over out back. And as soon as the fight started, bang, hit him with him. That's an art form. He probably studied tapes. This is more likely to be one of his opening moves. So be ready for it to come out of the gate. And he literally just sidestep, boom, lights, it lights out, 20 seconds, done. I remember looking forward to that fight because that's when I was actually into watching UFC and I watched the whole pay-per-view. We were just waiting for that fight and it literally was done in 20 seconds. I was like, it's supposed to go five rounds of fucking five minutes, mate. What the fuck? But... It's in Fight Club, like, they see it as a form of uh, self-expression. It takes the burden of life from off their shoulders. No longer are they worried about their shit jobs they have to go to because they know when it gets to the weekend, I'm going to fight. No one will confront you about it. If they see you with a black eye at work, very few people will, they will, out, they will, go, out, they will go out of their way to, to avoid, avoid even yeah. looking at you. Yes, yeah, so they don't want to know. You might get the odd nosy Parker who'd be like, 
What's up with that? Oh, I'd hate to see the other guys. Normally, that's yeah. what they say, you know. And, and and but the most people just go, oh, "He must have fallen over," or they don't want to ask you about it. And it's it's true. A lot of people don't. But like to express yourself through violence, like yeah, martial arts is a huge one. You always hear them talk about it with such reverence for what they do. Uh, pro wrestling is another one. While it's it's not the same, I still get this now because I've I'm a lot these days. I'm a lot more open about the fact that I like watching wrestling yeah. than I ever used to be. Because like this, you with like you're going to the same thing. We're going away to watch all out and. August, so like she's like, oh, I'm way in August. Like, oh, where you going? Like, I'm going to London to watch wrestling. And he went, sorry, what? Like, I'm going to watch wrestling. Isn't that fake? I went, yeah, it's scripted, but you, you, try, you, try, you try, you try fucking doing that. Is John Wick fake? Yeah. Do you like John Wick? It's great. Yeah, it's, as she said, it's entertainment. But you always hear these things on these old wrestlers when they can't do it no more. They're just so depressed. Boxers, you hear it from as well when they're too old. Or too fucks them up, man. And like, yeah. it, it, it messes with them. It messes with their self-image. It messes with who they are. It's why a lot of them have these comebacks and stuff. It messes with their bank account too. Especially when you see like the state the guys have gotten into. You look at a lot of the old boys now who used to be proper good fucking shape and they're all really big guys well they eat a lot they, you know they kind of had to and you can't just cut that out when they stop working out you kind of have to wean yourself off that you know it's a uh, you, you see it with bodybuilders as well when they come off it a lot of when they stop working out a lot of them rate you, you'll notice they'll a lot of them maintain the arm strength they're off working out but they, they've retained they've done so fucking much of that like yeah, but i found like i'm pretty sure you yourself like you you train and you train like when you go through these phases of when you're properly into it like when I when I first got probably into it about ten years ago when I was I was doing five by five and my my fucking my shoulders broadened my fucking arms got bigger I got fucking bigger and I can still I still find that even though I've still kept up roughly training like a couple of times a year I'll, I'll go through like three month stints and stuff like that I find my I've retained the strength my arm, do, my, yeah. my arms aren't still they're right I still actually have that strength and I still surprise myself sometimes when I just lift something I'm just like yes I can actually lift this pretty fucking good yeah and if you, and, and well because you get muscle uh, memory as well which does which is a genuine thing but you, you get a lot of these uh, doctors well Twitter doctors let's call them that they're Twitter doctors uh, Twitter medical for professionals uh, let's call them that uh, they, they claim muscle memory doesn't exist but when I saw the sports physio the other day he told me I said oh yeah muscle memory you'll be fine you'll be back to it he said I know you've had to take two months out of working out but you'll be you'll be uh, fine whatever doctor said muscle memory isn't a thing you hear him has never online, been, has, well, has, online they are. has never been a musician like I've literally picked up songs I picked up the bass to play songs I haven't played in two years and it only takes a quick because you run through yeah, and my fingers my fingers doing. remember exactly where they're supposed to go because that, you that's... trained it to do a certain task yeah. yeah pick up a video game sometimes it comes it comes back like that you haven't yeah. played it for ages you still remember how to play or even things like learning knots like mentally you need to learn a knot but it becomes a point where you don't even thinking about it you just do it yeah. yeah and then it could be 10 years you've not done that knot you've not done a half inch in 10 years and then you can just do one yeah. because you just it, it became something that you're repeatedly doing you yeah. know um, lots of jobs are like that lots of jobs you know, well, you're a painting decorator you know knowing what you're doing with that like it's just second nature now you know cutting in all that you just do it I hadn't, just... done, I hadn't done wallpapering for like 10 years and then one of my first jobs for, for the company I work for now was literally wallpapering I had to do a whole office on my own it took me a day or so to just kind of really remember how to do certain things but it literally comes back really quickly. You still remember how to measure, how to fucking cut, how to hang. It's it's all there. And I think this is why it's still culturally important. You know, as we said, we've said to each other off air quite a few times, we want to do more literature. We want to do more stuff like that. A lot of what we talk about, you know, American Psycho is another one. That's going to come up a lot here because 
they those two books, Fight Club and American Psycho, both the film and they came out at similar time periods. The books uh, came out at yes. a similar time period as well. Mm-hmm. They both defined like a generation. They're both from Gen X writers who are like two years difference in age. Well, they're that close and they're, together. And they're friends. They? Yeah, they're friends as well. They're very close to each other. They define Gen X writers, this new upcoming um, young at the time men defined that generation of writers defined that kind of storytelling very masculine storytelling both and they're so relevant today to me because the message the message still hasn't been heard yet do you know no one's taken on board what these things are saying and a new generation of people are finding it and the new generation are struggling more than any other with their masculinity than we've ever seen before mm. you know i would say and it's going to be a very um controversial take the the uptake in transgenderism young among men is to do with men not understanding their masculinity i'd say it's a huge part of that or men rejecting their masculinity Mm. in fight club there is a rejection of what we might call traditional masculinity um the whole when, when they have the conversation about the father just kind of being this vacant guy who never really was there oh the, when they talk about who they'd fight yeah who they'd fight and it's like I'd fight my dad and they talk about um, you know uh, how they never really knew their father and every time they wanted advice he'd be like go to college now what get a job now what get married now what have kids you know that like, that that what's expected of people and those gen x writers grew up with dads that were like that mm. my, my dad says my dad says it about my grand my granddad right he says he was a hard bastard was he, ex, was, he ex, was he ex-military? Ex-military. That's exactly what it was. He was a hard bastard. He said, and then you were born and you become a granddad and he treated you so differently to how he treated us as kids. You know, he was like a different guy had been around. And then he started opening up to us too. Then he would start saying, you know, my dad's in his 20s and he'd start, you know, he's, he's in mid to late 20s and he'd start saying, you know, I love you, son. But never as kids they had that. As kids, it was a clip round the ear, or stop giving your mum some grief. You know. I think it. I think it's how they perceive them, how they perceive their children at that time. So, like my dad, my my granddad never met. I never got a chance to meet him because he died the year I was born. But when my dad was younger, he like always told me like my dad, my granddad was military, served in the Second World War, yeah. all that sort of stuff. And uh, so when he came back, and he was very, it still had like the crew cut, always had the same haircut, crew cut, and all that, you know, military style. And my dad. <laughs> Being the the era that he grew up in, in like born in late forties, so he grew up obviously through the fifties into the sixties, and my dad was like turning twenty in the in the late sixties. My dad grew his hair out. My, he said, "My dad said my granddad didn't look at him for three months. Couldn't even speak to him for yeah. three months because he grew his oh, hair yeah, out. Because yeah. he grew his fucking hair out. And it's it's weird. Like I think that in some aspects, like men need to have some stoicism, as we would call it." They need to be able to not, they need to be able to hold it down, let's put it that way, Yeah. in key moments, you know. The modern, um, let's call it TV show Friends style man, right? Ross Geller. You, that, Chandler, Ross, even Joey, they're too emotional, right? They're always talk, 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 talk. The woman's got a problem, talk, 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 talk. What you find in life, especially if you date women, which, I mean, some of our listeners won't, is... Sometimes when a woman has a problem, they need you to be a man. You need to step up. You need to step up. Or you need to just fucking listen and not say a word and just 
let them talk. They don't need a therapist. They need to vent to someone. And they need you to say, yeah, I understand. I think that's You need you to get them a fucking drink. You know? You just need to know when to shut the fuck up and listen. But, you know, we grew up on all this TV stuff. And Friends, I have a big issue with Friends. I don't think it's a terrible show. And I find it funny that it's triggering to Gen Z. But I think that the... It's because there's no black people in it. I think think Friends had such a fucking um, effect on millennial men on how they should act and behave. I think it had a huge effect on millennial men. Who were kids, you know, teenagers when that was on. Well, that that was role models for them. They were role models. And I think that every single one of those guys in there was basically, even Joey, is a beta male. Oh, fuck it. Ross definitely is. Yeah, Ross definitely is. Chandler, Chandler definitely, definitely is. is, yeah. And like, why Joey sleeps around, he's broken. He's kind of, he, he kind of is. He grew up in a house full of women. Yeah, do you see what I mean? All of them are sort of bad examples of what a man should be. You know, I look at stuff like when I was a kid, like maybe like you look at Roseanne, right? He was a guy's guy. That was um, John Goodman. Yeah, John Goodman, the husband of that. He was supportive of her, but he raised a family. He liked to drink. He liked his sports. He, he was stern you know, when or, he needed um, to be. Married with children. You know, he's a grumpy motherfucker, but he's... <laughs> his fucking one-liners are amazing. Yeah. He's just a man who's depressed and hates his job. You know, or even even sitcoms like Cheers, you know? Like, yeah. you, know, you know, Ted Danson in that, he's, he's, a, he's a heartthrob. He gets women, but he looks after his friends. He looks after the people around him. Like, I think that the, gener- the generation just before that got way better role models off TV than we fucking The Fonz. Did, you know? <laughs> the Fonz, yeah. But the Fonz was wise hey. as fuck, right? He'd always come out with these weird philosophical fucking things, the Fonz. Yeah. I think they just grew up with stuff that seemed a bit more... Um, gra- not grounded, but a bit more positive. So you take a generation of guys who grew up with fucking friends and then you give them Tyler Durden. Then you give them uh, Patrick, Patrick Bateman. Bateman. Which one would they rather model genuinely? Tyler Durden. For sure. Right? Even Bateman though. Like I know he's a complete psychopath but he's successful. He's rich. He's And a lot of the people that pick, that's what they're picking up on. They're, you know, this is why I think that, and we've already mentioned these two guys, I think you've got a split. I think the people that like uh, a Jordan Peterson would prefer Tyler. And I think the people that Andrew prefer Tate. is Andrew Tate, right? Yeah. It, it's definitely that. And there, there are these male archetypes, and there's lots of them, you know. And while we did have stuff like Friends, we were lucky enough to grow up with Indiana Jones, Top Gun. We were lucky enough to grow up watching it with Star Wars in our lives and watching Luke's Journey, all the Schwarzenegger films, all, all the Stallone and, uh, you know... Van Damme. Van Damme. All that stuff. We grew up with genuinely very masculine men on TV Alphas. Look, look at a fucking movie franchise with an action star now it's fucking like Timothy whatever the fuck his name is Timothy, Timothy Chalamet Doom. yeah like that's that's who's getting your fucking he's gonna be movies. our new Wonka and I'm like no thanks but yeah but th- that's who they put on these little twinks like, like that is not gonna make help men be men and people go well it's misogynistic there is nothing misogynistic about Commando for example <laughs> no. you know He's a big, strong guy, single dad, lives in the woods with his daughter. She gets kidnapped, and he would do anything to get her back. Taken. Taken. Again. Like, uh, and it's weird, because that that Sound of Freedom film, it's not out in the UK yet, that's out. Oh, man, they're they're trying to fucking... Why didn't they say the same about Taken? This is how strange we are uh, politically right now. Taken came out about a guy rescuing his teenage daughter from 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 traffickers. Yes. And... It was. It's a film men can identify. It's such an easy a dad going after his daughter, protecting his family. We we agree with that. It 
it just does something to me. Watching the 300, whatever it is, right? Those films appeal to men, genuinely. Yeah. So then you have this Sound of Freedom come out, which is a true story about a guy who worked for the CIA, I think, and was doing child trafficking, sex trafficking, a lot of it. And the CIA would just not do enough about it. So he quit the CIA and took it into his own hands and went and fucking hunted down trafficking. This is a real guy who exists. There's a book about him. Uh, I saw an interview with him this week. Yes, he is the red-blooded, meat-eating American, I praise Jesus, I vote Republican guy, right? But he has dedicated his life to stopping children being raped. Why is that a negative? It's fucking insane that the press, the the mainstream press have said, I've seen some articles this week saying like, you know, it's misogynistic film, it's QAnon, it's pro-Trump MAGA film, um, it's conspiracy, it's anti-LGBTQ, it's, and I'm like, who, why? And there was a tweet, someone told me, I said, yeah, but this stuff, this groomering thing, this Hollywood groomers, um, movies about child sex uh, trafficking are very transphobic. And I replied to the person and went, why are you making that connection? Where then, are you getting that connection? And he, uh, the, the answer, they were like, oh, well, grooming is a slur against the LGBTQ community. And I'm like, no, no, no. Grooming is, well, yeah, it's a fucking, not slur for a start. Let's, let's cut that word out. It's not a slur. It's, a, it's about paedophiles and paedophiles shouldn't be allowed in any community, let alone the LGBTQ community. You know, what connection are you making between the LGBTQ folk and paedophiles because I'm not making the connection and they just fucking deleted their tweet. You jumped straight to the conclusion that gays and trans people are under attack because a movie has come out about paedophiles that traffic children. What the fuck are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Why is that the connection you've made? How low do you think of that community? How desperate are you to fucking try and throw that, that into the argument? But why are they making that connection? I don't know. Um, but they're the ones no one on the right is sitting there going and I fucking hate doing it I hate this I'm not politically one way or the other right I hate this right left I'm politically anti-politics yeah anti-politics yeah it's why we're anti-content too it's it's just a strange thing that like when I'm seeing people on the right sitting there going we don't want kids getting raped and trafficked transphobe it's such a it's such a weird thing going on it's a strange it's one of the strangest things to happen politically over a piece of media in a long time so for those that there was this there was this film that came out in 2020 on Netflix Cuties. Called, called Cuties. Now we actually spoke about it briefly years ago when it came yeah. out about how fucking disgusting and wrong it was. And this guy on TikTok basically showed you well, put up articles that Rolling Stone and I'm not sure if it was the Guardian. Go- Guardian, yeah, basically praising this film, which if you don't know, and I'm not even sure if it's still on Netflix anymore. I think it is, yeah. Which is about 12-year-old girls. It's a French film. 12-year-old girls who teach themselves to twerk and send explicit photos of each other to each other, like naked and stuff like this. And this is highly praised by these magazines. Now, you get Sound of Freedom, which has just come out, which is being... The tabloids and, and critics are trying to sweep this film under the rug. They don't want people to go and see it. Which is, as we said, is about a guy who sets his, who basically makes it his mission in life to stop child fucking sex trafficking. Yeah. And for some reason, the media do not want you going to see this film. I've seen like other thing I've seen like some woman um, 
put up a video. Uh, her and her friends had booked tickets at the at a AMC cinema to go and watch it. They book they pre booked the fire them. alarm or something. No, no, they pre booked. It wasn't fire alarm. They pre booked to pay for tickets. They got the woman got an email that day saying that they refunded their tickets, but didn't give an explanation as to why their tickets had been refunded. So they went out for dinner, and they these these four women went to the cinema anyway, and. When they got there, they were well, our tickets got refunded, but we'd still like to see the film. Oh, apparently it was a string of AMC theatres all had the exact same problem, that the air conditioning wasn't working in the only theatre that was showing that film. So what the fuck is going on here? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. Hollywood is full of paedophiles. Exactly. And they do not want a movie that exposes paedophiles. Half these cunts went to Epstein's Island. Yes. And that's never coming out. And... um, and while it isn't about Fight Club, like the reason that these films are important, like Fight Club or books as well, is because there are lessons for men to learn there. Why would an elite group of people not want men to go and see some? I mean, I saw a video of a guy crying talking about it after he got back. He was like, Talk about Fight Club or Stand Free? No, no, Stand Free. Okay. He sat in his car, he was this big bearded fucking, fucking ex military guy, and he had fucking tears in his eye. And he was like, This is disgusting that this goes on. Like, you don't think about how much of it goes on. And he's right, you don't think about how much of the, it goes the, on. The statistics are shocking. Yeah. How many, kid, how many kids go missing Well, we year. said it on um, one of our crime episodes about missing children. In America, 800,000 children go missing and in not a be year. Fa- and not be found. And never be found, ever. That's just one country. Like, across the globe, it's millions of kids going on, d- disappearing. But you hear it, these tourists that go missing, which is what Taken is about. Like, that happens to people. Yes. Women are never seen again, and then they're found in fucking Fritzl's basement. I know that was his own kids. That was his own daughter. But, but kids, but people like that get found all the time too, and we never really hear much about that. Mm. You know, you don't hear about it, and you know, and, uh, you know, the, the conspiracy behind Fritzl is that people in the fucking police force and and government would go and visit. I see. I can't believe uh, it, we've never really. I've never really di- di- dived into the Fritzl case that, but. I can't believe that a girl can go missing for... How long was she reported missing for? 12, like 12 years. 12 years. And the police never went and checked the house first. They never went to the basement. Well, the toy box killer. Famously, the people were going to his sex parties and joining in his sex parties and being part of that. And they didn't, they didn't know that he was raping and murdering women. Mm. Yeah, mm. I think that they were people involved, and then when it came to a point where the woman escaped, that's how he got caught. She escaped, and people found her on a dusty road, battered and stuff. And they went to the police; they had to do something about it. But previously, the neighbours, all of them, were going to his house for soirees and sex parties, and not one of them picked up that he was doing. The girls are going missing, and you've got the F- Fred West living next door. Mm. You didn't want to think about it because again, with them, Rose West sex parties, policemen, politicians going around their house for sex. So this is something that was openly going on and then oh, they were also murdering people well, were these involved in it is it eyes wide shut situation when they're all fucking corrupt it's that, epi- it's that Lock Henry Lock Henry yeah like like that. yeah exactly like they're all in on it and and that's the thing that happens like and it's important it's not not just for men but for women too but there's there's a visceral reaction that men have to watching a guy fight bad people yes. right whether they're rapers murderers sex traffickers there's a reaction in your gut as a man your fucking blood boils and you're like nah and we saw it recently we spoke about i think we spoke about on air about the um attack in france where the guy was stabbing babies mm. and people just ran away 
and I just could not for the life of me if I was if I was in a park and a guy with a knife he's stabbing children I'd die if I have to yeah I I, I cannot stand here and live while he murders babies luckily none of the kids died in the end but a lot of them were in intensive care and because he was just stabbing once well, like, like, their lives have changed forever after that yeah yeah, yeah. And, and people run away I mean there's one where the guy runs away and he bumps into a slide in the video right climbs up the slide slides down it to get away I mean, that's how much of a fucking... Coward. Coward you are, that you're, you're willing to be seen on... Well, you didn't know he was on camera. You're going to go down a slide to escape a that's, man. That's your, that's your fight or flight hitting. It, it is that, but like I think if men were given more role models that were strong, that have been taken away from us... Man, you're telling me in the 80s and 90s people would have run away like that? I don't think they would have. You do hear it if it were in sh- like shooters in like shooters in America, like what? Where you know uh, a stranger takes them down and uh, they call it like a good guy with a gun. It's like a right wing argument uh, that, and I'm not, that's not poo pooing it, saying oh it's a right wing argument, but that is the argument. All it takes is a good guy with a gun and you stop an attack. And you know the world, the world needs. Like more brave men, right? We we desperately need more brave men, or, or more men who will step up in those moments. And um, one way of doing that is by giving young men more strong male role models on screen or in front of men. I mean, books. You know, people just don't write them anymore because we've become. I, I mean, I hate using the word woke, but that's kind of what it is. Mm. Men need to be soft now. You know, we have all this this stuff and like and i think again as i was saying the reason why these these characters and these these books and movies are so um maybe even bigger now than they were before like they started especially um i mean american psycho in particular is huge is it really that big now? because of the memes man they're, they're oh, fucking everywhere like, like i said like the tyler ones are probably meme, ones co- meme see, culture does it again the tyler ones are the ones i see the least right yeah um it's normally him saying stuff you are not your car keys you know that kind of thing you are not your i got that written down yeah you, it, it's the quotes and it's it's those and then it will have one of those sort of like giga chad fucking musics in the background you know that sort of funk music and it, all the guys were sitting there going oh yeah what a g what like the language behind it was like oh yeah no that's a, that's a hero that's this and it's like yes that was edgy in the 90s to be that way right but it's not that edgy now but yet it still resonates with these young lads because they don't they don't see it they don't fucking see it right well it's because even any sort of like hero that you could get behind like Geralt for example they fuck him up they've, they've ruined him yeah I mean there's just so many fucking um, instances of that the, the rings of power the men okay it's their fan fiction because they're not using Tol- Tolkien's law to write that they're lo- using the appendix from um Lord of the Rings to write that right. and make it all up themselves. Yeah, but the men are kind of like the women. Are, women are way more braver than the men in that show, and it's like, unless the men are diverse men, if they're if they're part of an ethnic group, they're strong. The black guy, the black guy, the black guy he's he's literally when you literally said that to me, I literally my, my mind went to the ranger straight away. Oh, no, he's away. strong, yeah, because but the white men, oh no, well they're all fucking useless or simpy or cowards, cowards, right? But in the law, they're not. So why are you doing that to them? Mm. Because to these writers, their personal politics mean more than telling a good story. But remember, Lord of the Rings is very white-dominated. Well, yeah, it's written about the UK. Exactly. It's, it's a love story to the legends that we lost in the UK. I mean, there's a lot of Christianity in there because he was a Christian. There's a lot of Arthurian 
um, storytelling involved in that. The one sword and everything. You know, but we're not allowed to fucking... And, and, and people are like, you are allowed to talk about it. Okay, Hollywood, the people with money aren't telling those stories. There you go. So who tells those stories? Well, independence, which is why independence are getting bigger. Because people have to have an alternative. Um, another thing I had about masculinity down for Fight Club was um, talking about emotional suppression. So, you know, the, the novel especially portrays men that are seeking release from their life because they're suppressing their emotions, right? And um, to me, it feels like their day-to-day lives are so dull, especially in the narrator. Like, he's not in touch with who he is, his emotions, or anything at all. I think one of the key points, actually, we watching the film today is when you said because I didn't realise it. It's really, really weird. I've seen this film so many times and I never, ever clicked that the scene where the mechanic sprays the priest yeah, and then the next fight you see priest fights it's back. the priest fighting he's the only one who fights back which is why he's recruited by the mechanic and then we see him as you said fighting in the next scene you know and because the mechanic obviously in the book is a bigger role there's a lot of stuff that Tyler says in a movie are things the mechanic says because the oh, mechanic really? is a true believer in the book like he believes the word of Tyler Durden so a lot of a lot of some, some of Tyler's speeches you know that he says in the movie are the mechanic saying yeah because when when he would, when Tyler's not around, and he does it in, he does do it in the movie as well. It's just like in death, we have a name. Like he's the oh, first. Is that, one. Is that yeah, the mechanic, yeah, that's the mechanic. Is it? Yeah, yeah. So obviously, in the book, he does that a lot. When Tyler's not around, he's the voice of Tyler almost. Yeah, where Tyler's the narrator. Yeah, yeah. You know, where, when when they've swapped places, and I feel like it's such a like you know, and you look at that and you think about like this suppression of your your emotions as men. It's like how, like, like you said with that priest, he has to be godly. He's a man he has of the cloth. Be, he has to be a man of the cloth. He cannot give in to those violence, violence into the primal thing. He has to suppress so much of himself that yeah. Then in the next scene, he's having a fight because yeah, because because he allowed himself. They recruited him once he allowed himself to step in, which I think that's what that homework assignment was about. It's like those pick a fight with a stranger, and they're like, okay, and it's like it's going to be harder than you think it is. Because yeah. you know, a, a lot of people will not. I'm. To be fair, I'm one of those people. If someone tries to pick a fight, I'm going to walk away. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not in, I'm not interested in fighting it, yeah. someone. No, nine times out of ten, I'll, I'll only fight if I have to. Or if I'm protecting someone. I've, I've, like, most times I've been arrested like for fighting. Pub, like in the pub the other week. Yeah, I can't help myself. Like, yeah. I fucking, something happens where if I know I can stop someone else being bullied or hurt, I have no choice in the matter. It's my duty at that moment to step in. Especially if it's a woman or someone vulnerable and it's... You know, in this day and age, so many other people will just avoid stepping up. You, you kind of fucking have to. Mm. And, and I've seen people do it with all sorts of stuff. Like, this staircase, and the woman's trying to post a pram up it, and some people just won't even fucking offer a hand. Oh, yeah, that annoys, so that, annoys, weird, that annoys the fuck out of me, man. I, I remember being on... Where was I going? I was away with Amy, because cause the stairs was quicker than taking the lift, because there was a queue for the lift. I was like, fuck it, take the stairs. But if I had big cases, like 20 kilo cases... And I was like, I just grab Amy's case, and I was like, right, I'm going. So I went, I went, I went up the stairs of both our cases. And as we were, as we were about to go up, I saw a woman literally about to try and take her pram up the stairs. And all I did is I put our cases down. I said, you wait, 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 wait there. And I literally helped this woman up with her, with her pram, and then went back down and grabbed the cases and went up. It fucking angers me that people. And I don't understand why people won't. No, why everybody would just walk past no her and not give her a hand. No one gives a fuck. But it, I, it goes back to that quote in the book about people not saying anything about your black eye. People just people they just want to avoid it. They want to avoid the, the uh, confrontation. Yeah, confrontation or uncomfortableness or not my business. Yeah, I've got my own shit. To people do. feel like it's awkward to help someone out who's struggling with something. Yeah, we've forgotten how to be good people. But I think that especially with men. When I was a kid, I was always told you give your seat up for an old person on the bus. 
Or a pregnant woman. Or a pregnant woman. Yeah. We just don't fucking do that now. That came up literally uh, during the Island Games. Like, uh, the Island Games happened this week yeah. over here. And um, someone put up that there was, uh, I think they were watching the basketball or something at Bosey. And there was a pregnant woman and a woman with a young child were left standing for, for two weeks. No one offered their seat. And I, I, I was like, why not? No one wants to. No one wants to. No one wants to give up anything for anyone else. No. But but going back to that sort of the suppression of male emotions, right? Because you always see these things, and um, I touched about it a little bit on my radio show about leaving Facebook. You always people say men need to open up more. But when men open up, no one listens. No one truly listens. Like people will tell you you need to open up more. But also some people, when you open up, they'll lose a little bit of respect for you as well you might oh he's a bit emotional though isn't he like do you know what i mean like people but if you were to say it online i am feeling down hundreds of people will tell you oh no you're brilliant for this but they're not there for you in real oh, life what's up on inbox me yeah, inbox me yeah like that's what they're like you know but they don't mean it people i think again it's the same with anything online people can hide behind their keyboards so you can say oh no don't be like that man you know inbox me if you need but then you can choose when you want to actually read that message. Yeah. Whereas if you're doing a face-to-face confrontation, you can't avoid it. You have no, to get. You, you have, have to get to, involved. So they don't. They they avoid that. And I think you know you look at a character like Tyler Durden when he says something, he means it. Yeah. And as much as he's a destructive, evil force in the narrator's life, he uh, and obviously you know without caring about spoilers as we said you should at least have seen I don't think we need to worry about spoilers if you haven't seen Fight Um, Club by now then the only person who's truly there for him is someone who doesn't exist but that person who doesn't exist is everything he wishes he would be and I just think how many men in general walk around with a Tyler in their head Not, not something they see not something they hear but a version of themselves they wish they could be that they never ever let out, that they never ever listen to, that they never ever trust or, or try and be like. I think we've all. I think all of us have had that. I think even women, in, in certain yeah, extent, yeah. have I've had that have that voice where you know, like, say for example, you're sitting at the you're sitting in the bar and you're looking over. Say you're single and you're looking over and you see this this person of the opposite sex and you you find them attractive. Yeah, you know, a lot of people in their heads will talk themselves through it in their heads. There'll be that voice in their head that's like. You should do this, and you should do this, and you should do this. You should say this, and then they suppress it. But you won't go yeah, and do that do because you yourself are afraid of rejection, afraid of getting laughed at, afraid of getting shot down. Just yeah. looking like, yeah, and you're not realizing like what we just spoke about. Most people were too polite, right? So this sort of like what you're afraid of. What happens if she says "fuck off, you creep"? Most people are never doing that because it's a confrontation. Like we've, we've just said, that yeah. most people they won't even fucking help a woman upstairs with a pram. At the, the most, she'll humour you, right? So the worst that can happen is it won't go anywhere, and you'll have a five minute chat or a three minute chat, and she'll be like, uh, "I'm going to go find my friends." Yeah, if if she literally laughs at you, or if he or she laughs at you, trust me, you've you've literally made a grand escape there. It's not worth your time. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. And you've weaned them out of your life. You yes. know, if they're a cunt, they re- you've weaned them out of your life. But then what you find is that, like, I would say like 80% of people aren't that much of a cunt that they'll do that. Yeah. Most people are like, oh, hi. You know, most people will... They will humour you. Humour you at, at the least. very least, right? And if you were to look at it as, like, a video game, right? Um, if it was a video game, you try and try again until you master it. Yes. But in real life, we don't do that. No. But a character like Tyler does it. And he doesn't care about the outcome, you know? He doesn't care if he fails. Why does he care if he fails? 
he's not even thinking about oh well I'll try again. He just go. He just carries on with whatever he's doing. You know. I try and I try and tell people actually. I, I I'm you know I'm probably one of those people who will, will give you advice but not be able to take it themselves. But when someone says oh yeah I'm not sure if I should do this or if I should say this or do this, and I said like I said the worst thing they can say to you is no. And it doesn't do anything, it's just a no. So what's the harm in trying? Well, that's at least a 50%. Not trying is 0%. Like, exactly. You know, not trying is 0%. Well, so you, you, fail, you fail every attempt you don't take. Yeah, every single time. Every time you talk yourself out of something, you fail. Yeah. You know, you say you're not good at advice. You've been good at telling me not to be stupid a few times. Mm. You know, <laughs> don't be an idiot. You're good at that. You're, yeah. I guess a problem me, and I think it does go back to the kind of literature I have, I dive into things. Yeah, I don't think and I dive into things and I, I look at characters I enjoy and stuff I look at fucking Tyler Durden or I look at Johnny Silverhand or Cloud Strife all of them have fucking voices in the head but <laughs> I look at characters like that they just do it right Yeah. and I have that mentality of ah oh, fuck it I'll do it and it can backfire on you sometimes two out of three of those are voices in the head <laughs> yeah, yeah probably with me too yeah. um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's one of those things but you've been good with me of just saying no nah, you need to stop you need to calm down we have to do it with Tian too sometimes. Oh, God, yeah. You have to tell him, mate, Chill. stop. You know? And, yeah. and so there is a flip side to it. You can't you can't be Tyler, you know? Hmm. Uh, I think that's why he's idolised by and rate. No one can actually be that. That doesn't live long. That doesn't get to exist in the world. Like, you've got to play ball a little bit. Oh. But it's a very attractive um, mindset. Yeah, there, there are consequences, everything, but obviously he knows who he is. Tyler knows exactly what he is. Yeah. And he knows that there are no consequences for him with what he does. Yeah, but it comes back in the movie when he shoots at the van. He's like, whoa, 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 because he's like, no, you'll kill me too. You know, if you die, I die. Yeah. And that's obviously how he resolves killing Tyler in the, in the movie. You're shooting at your imaginary friend <laughs> at a van, at a van full of dynamite. You know, and then I think it might be one of Brad Pitt's best performances as Tyler Durden. Very different because it's, a lot of people re- don't realise that, that Fight Club, both as a movie and a book, are, are, are comedies. Oh, fuck yeah, dark, you know, dark comedies. Dark comedies, but they're comedies, right? Um, and, you know, and Brad Pitt's has some great films. Seven, again, another Fincher yeah, film. Yeah, another Fincher one. Interview with the Vampire. Interview with the Vampire. Just seeing what year. He's funny in that I too. Trying, I was trying to remember what year that, that came out, 94. And I mean, he was fantastic as, yeah, as Louis. Yeah, he's fantastic. And I mean, but if you if you look at the movie Fight Club, and again with Interview with the Vampire, like you don't get cast like that. Like nowadays, you don't get a movie for people like that. You know, even if you're only Tom Cruise, Kirsten Dunst, and fucking um, Antonio Banderas, Bandera, Brad Steve, Pitt, Stephen Rear, it was <laughs> fucking hell. Oh, Matt, that that cast was incredible. But in Fight Club, you got Brad Pitt, Ed Norton, you got Meatloaf, Helena Bonham Carter, Meatloaf's in there, Jared Leto. Jared Leto. Like you, that's a fucking gigantic cast. Yeah. For a movie, and you just don't. The only time apparently, what's it? Um, is it Oppenheimer, the new one that's come out? That yeah. cast is massive. Yeah, that looks good as well. Yeah, we as men. And as a race, the West specifically, yeah. are being emasculated. That I cannot stress enough how important it is for men, especially men in their 30s, to try and help young men learn how to be men mm-hmm. in, in, in any capacity they can. Like, it is very, whether it's your own kids, you know, like it's on you to make sure that they don't go further down the rabbit hole because we were put in the rabbit hole we just got lucky that the 90s still liked explosions you know because <laughs> yeah. i find it baffling and and because we mention it every episode i find it baffling that a generation that grew up on the attitude era 
that grew up on Jerry Springer. That's what I mentioned every Jerry, episode. Jerry, Jerry, You know, I find it baffling that that generation, South Park generation, that grew up on that, are the ones that work in television and Hollywood now that are saying, oh, no, that's too edgy. Oh, right. Do you know? Like, how the fuck? Jackass, you know? We grew up on this... this dirty very Sanchez. Mas- very masculine stuff. Very masculine. Um, Sometimes self-destructive. But we don't... read the books and the movies like this stuff, the fight clubs. We, we were all in... That's what we were all into. Wrestling, MMA. We were all into that as teenagers and as kids how the fuck has that generation millennials grown up to be fucking pussies mm. I mean I saw a tweet the other day yeah. and I'd like I, I actually had to put my phone down and walk away this guy was talking in basically baby talk and he was just like listen guys I know some of you don't like Joe Biden because like you know you think he totally sucks and everything and while he isn't the best cho- to- choice he's way better than that doo-doo head Donald Trump and I was like, what fucking adult male talks like that? The, and when the, I clicked the, his profile, he's a writer for Netflix. Oh, no. With a following of 40,000 people. Oh, no. That the, also has done video games. What video games? He, he helped work on that um, shooting game on the Xbox by the Rick, Rick and Morty. He worked oh, on that. yeah, yeah. Yeah, he worked on that as well. And I was like, yeah, that explains it. Rick and Morty explains it to me. Like When yeah. I see people that enjoy Rick and Morty, that explains it to me. Because I'm like, yeah, that's full of that snarky sort of like, well, what if you're a dick, boy? And, and it's just like, and, and as I said before, writers in TV shows, they write like they're tweeting. That's what they write for. Like um, the fucking Forspoken, which is that I just move shit with my mind. No, fuck off. Just, just no, no one would act like that. You, you've been transported to another world where you've got special powers, where there are pe- thing, monsters trying to kill you, and you're like, oh my god, I just did some power shit, man. Like, it's Marvel writing. It's fucking... It, Ms. Marvel shit. Yeah, it's that. It, it's it's the... Everyone has to make a joke in the worst time. It, it's Peter Quill dancing off against the villain. It's that. Like, and it's every, it's infected everywhere. Now, for James Gunn's style, that fits his style, right? Because it's him, yeah? Yeah. But once, one, and, and you can see the shift in um, Marvel movies, especially once Guardians came out, everyone tried to, everyone in Marvel tried to copy. All of a sudden, everything needs to have a joke. Yeah. Like Love and Thunder. Or, you know, yeah, well, Taika Waikiki is an example of one of these, he's a bad writer. Like, he's Yeah, because he just directed Ragnarok, didn't he? He didn't write it. Well, with Love and Thunder, that was all him. And it, it's a symptom of Marvel wanting to copy James Gunn's style from Guardians. But, you know... An issue with this modern writing and uh, it's and how it's letting its audience down, especially uh, young men who need guidance and role models. Uh, even if you know it's a lunatic like Tyler Durden, in some everybody capacity. needs everybody needs that psychopath in your head. Everyone needs telling you to to just fucking man up and get on with it. Everyone needs Johnny Silverhand <laughs> mugging him off at every moment, you know. And and but we are in a like man like we're in we're in a crux at the moment, men. And uh, to the female listeners, I hope what you learn from this is kind of like about the men in your life and like what they could be missing, you know, even down to the rough play. I tell you what, it is cool to have a girlfriend who lets you like roll around. Like, not I'm not even talking sexually, you know, like she'll hit you with a pillow and you mm. throw her around, you know, and you fucking pick her up and drop her on something. You get you get something out of that as men. You really, really do. And it's not a sexual thing. I'll let you smack her ass. And again, it's not a sexual thing. There is a need for physical interactions between humans. Mm. But with men, there's a need for it to be a little bit rougher, a little bit more close, um, 
dominant in dominant a way, in, in a, a way. way yeah you know and there's there's just so much you can learn from a book or, or a movie like fight club of like why is it that when these men become physical they get so much out of it and it's because we're meant to well yeah we're built for that that's what we're meant well, to you do look, any, any any historical point is that you know originally back in cavemen times if you will you know, men were the hunters. Yes. They went they went out and they did this. And then a lot of people will see that as, oh, it's toxic masculinity and everything. But it's, no, it's like, it's, it's literally the fact is the men were the stronger. So they were the ones that went out and hunted. When, you know, even in old times, like fucking Roman Empire and all this sort of shit, it was always men were centurions. Yeah. Even with Spartans, it was always Spartans. men were Spartans. And uh, I mean, it, it doesn't mean that no women fought because Spartan women were trained how to use a blade and how to defend themselves, right? Oh, yeah. Because if the men fail, you're all getting raped and killed. So you need to be able to look after yourself and fucking do what you can to prevent that. But the, the darkness behind that is is that they were also told they would not win that battle. So with shield maidens and with Spartan women, they were also told you're not winning here. You will fall. But you can at least take them out with you. You're taking them with you, and hopefully someone will get saved. As a, someone can get away because of what you're doing. It's yeah. a very dark thing. Oh, fucking! But it's dark way. on the men too. It's like to the men, if you fail, all your wives are raped. Yes. You know that's that's the reality of all. Or your wives life. are raped, and all your and all your sons are getting killed. Yeah. Even now, like we said, oh, we live in a safe society. Now that's the reality of it. Now, if a raper breaks in your house and you and you are fail, a man and you fail, your kids and your wife are in danger. Yes. So you don't fucking fail. Exactly. But how many men in modern world are trained? Are trained to fail. Tons. They're not going to win. Too many men aren't going to win. Too many men aren't going to be willing to risk their life. I saw a video, um, a, a viral video, it was one of these TikToky things the other day, of um, a man and a woman walking down the street holding hands, and a motorbike pulls up beside him. The guy jumps off the back, takes her purse, yeah. rips the purse out of her hands, and the guy runs away. And uh, the thief, uh, he gives the woman her bag back, and he's pointing up the road to this boyfriend, the geezer who ran off. And he's shaking his head in disbelief uh, uh, that he ran away. But you, you see it all the time. Now, I understand as well. Like, if you work a low-level job at McDonald's and people are breaking in and smashing shit, I understand just let them. Yeah. I really do. No, I get it. Fuck that job. Fuck them. They pay you shit. Fuck them. You don't own They're insured out the ass for that sort of you're thing You're not anyway. risking your life for them. Fuck them. But if it's your own personal property and people you care about, you need to not have that same mentality. And unfortunately, we live in a society where so many people have that mentality personal anecdote right this happened a few weeks back i got off my bus on my way to work there's normally a group of kids at the bus stop about 13 years old they're quite friendly they normally say good morning you know yeah that's this kind of what guernsey kids are like and um i walked around the corner into the car park and by my work there's like an alleyway and there was this guy right and he'd cornered this girl who's normally at the bus stop this this fucking young girl and he was sort of had his arm one way on the wall and she couldn't get past. She's sort of looking around, not knowing what to do. So I'm like, hey, what's going on here, mate? Hang on, what's, what are you up to? Because I'm thinking that don't look right, yeah? And he turns around and he goes to me, oh, it's my cousin, I'm talking to my cousin, just just having a catch-up. And I say to her, is this your cousin? And she goes, no, no, I don't know him, I don't know him. And he's like, oh, I know your mum, though, your mum's Julie. And she's like, no, no. And I was like, now, fuck off. I didn't even give him a, a second, right? My knee's busted up, obviously. I didn't give him a second chance. I'm not going to fucking go, all right, well, they're just talking. I was like, no, no, you fuck off now. And he's like, what are you going to do? I said, you fuck off now. And I sort of marched over to him, and he sort of backed off. 
and he looked at me and he was like, oh, you fucking prick. And I was like, you're right. And she was like, yeah, I, I don't know what he wanted. He, he was saying that, could I show him the way to this, this place? He was, you know, up the path towards where well, it is like a council estate there and that. He's like, oh, could I show him the way to this place? Uh, I was telling him no, but he wouldn't listen. And, and what made this worse? This car park where this, where this happened, there's other people around, right? There's two geezers stood there having a chat by the side of their van and a cigarette. Neither of them fucking said anything. There's women getting out of their fucking car, right? And then they're, they're watching the whole thing take place. And none of them are saying shit, yeah? There was one car sat there with a geezer sat in it. He's eating a sandwich. Um, and I'm on my way to work. And I'm like, why is it me who has to step in? Like, why the fuck are none of them stepping in? I can't, you know, and I, I just couldn't believe that, you know, these people just walk past and they go, ah, don't worry about it. I don't find it fit. I don't see it fit for, I'm not getting involved. I could not live with myself and I went, that's a bit weird and walked on yeah. and then read in the news the next day she'd been attacked. Yeah. Couldn't live with myself. I'd feel so guilty. I'd, I'd, it would eat me up inside. Mm. But I have to fucking do something, you know? Yeah. And we're missing that in the world. I've done that in the past. Like, especially with women. Yeah, well, especially with friends of mine as well. I was at Chaos one year. And this bloke was chatting to a female friend of mine and she looked uncomfortable. So I just slipped up behind her and I put my arm around her and I went, you're right, you're right darling? And she, and she went, yeah, yeah. And, and he's like, oh, do you know her? I was like, yeah, that's my girlfriend. And he went, oh, sorry, mate, sorry, mate. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll leave you tell. I was like, yeah, cool, cheers. But it was my girlfriend, it's a mate of mine. But yeah. it does, she looked uncomfortable, so you kind of step in. It's your duty as a man to step in, really, right? You know, men are expected to step in. Men are the ones who are expected to say go to war right it's an expectation it's our duty to yeah it is an expectation that is not placed on women no matter how many times feminists talk about the patriarchy they are not expected to go to war men are expected to go to war yes we we are the ones that are first drafted you know it, it doesn't mean women can't join the army but even when they do the men are the ones that are on the front line the men are the ones pushed to the extremities of, of the violence that needs to happen. And uh, that duty goes beyond, say, you know, military service. In your community, it's men who are expected to step in, not just expected to. It's, it's you know, what we're built to do. Mm. And when we live in a society, it's like that quote, you know, strong times create hard men, hard men create good times, yeah. good times create soft men, soft men create hard times. It very much is that. Like, men, as a rule, have to be space monkeys. When the time comes, you've got to be a space monkey. You've got to risk your life for the greater good. Yeah. And that's where, but I think that's where masculine power comes from as well. I think power in being a man comes from strength. It's, it's a literal power. It's not mental power, although there is that is involved. But like what makes men dominant is strength. Mm. And if you're not using that, you're not dominant. Yeah, I get you. Right. So, Scott, I know it's not your favorite book or your favorite movie in the world, but. Um, I wouldn't say this day it's definitely up there when when you reading or watching it what does it mean to you the message of it like as a person not to be absorbed in your own possessions you're not your you're not the things you own you know that's a that was a massive thing when I, I found like from watching the film for the first time it was it was all about like you you see the way he goes where the narrator goes from he literally when he tells you everything in his car everything in his apartment what it costs and all this sort of shit and then he goes from that then Tyler you know, blows it up. Yeah. And then, it, and then he goes to stay with Tyler and it is literally, it's a fucking rundown. They're basically squatting yeah. in this rundown piece of shit house. And it is literally about not being consumed with your possessions. That's how I, that's how the film starts for me is, is in that. But then it's also how, then it's also bringing down society. What made living there bearable was bonding with your mate. 
Oh yeah, if you, you know if I mean? you if you've got if you've got what you would see as a stable element in your life that you can kind of fall upon, which was Tyler was his his yeah. crutch, his is is uh, someone to bond with. And yeah, yeah. Even though he was bonding with his own imagination. Yeah. It, yeah. It ma- it makes yeah. It's the same like you say with any relationship. As long as you're both on the same page and you're both willing that you, you get for you, anything, you, you, you get, get for anything. with anything, and like and then you realize like in ten years or five years time, you go, our lives are a lot better than they were when we met. You kind of yes. realise this stuff, you know, like, but any friendships like that, it's like when I first met you, I didn't really know you that much, but I'd say our friendship is a lot better now. Don't fuck time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, we it, think, my, our first interaction was having a chat about wrestling at the Loden Bar. Yeah. I'd never met you before. Yeah. And you just, you just happened to be there on the Friday when I was, when I went in there. Yeah. I guess a big part of Fight Club, which is one that most people wouldn't pick up on, is like, is a story of brotherhood and of bonding oh, and massively. friendship, you know? Uh, but men having like a bond, it can be frowned upon people can get weird if they see for example men like hugging each other you know and it's something that like could be frowned upon i think when you're physical like, affection between men in certain aspects is kind of frowned upon by some people it, very much so and i think it's, it kicks off when you're about 13 14 it's gay to hug your mates oh, yeah. and you can't get away with it but once you sort of get to the drinking stage you kind of get away with it and you notice when men drink how touchy they get with each other like yeah, the like arms round. Let's have a fucking hug and a photo and like slap each other. And because it because you it like lowers your inhibitions. As I said earlier, it's that rough play is needed, you know. So, but but we're so suppressed sexually, I guess, sexuality wise, well, that you have to fucking have a drink to do it. There's more to that than there is to just saying hello to someone. Like there's actually that physical connection there is a trust. Yeah, almost, a, a, a physical contact shows a bond between people. I mean. <laughs> one time I can't remember where I was well I know where I was I was in the vault and uh, my, my parents my, my parents are there so I think I think it was for my birthday I'm not sure and my mate Tom when he gets when he gets he gets quite very comfortable in his own skin the more he drinks yeah but and, and there was just one point like, he just gave me a kiss like a proper kiss on the lips eh and my dad you should have seen his <laughs> fucking face I bet I bet because like, old school mentality. Yeah, my, dad, my, my dad's old school. Uh, he says, see his fucking face. And he just come over to me. And, he go, and my brothers were there as well. And they, they, they've got that same mentality as my dad. And then my dad just goes, what the fuck was that? And I was like, what? He goes, Tom just kissed you on the lips. He went, he does it all the time. He go, and he just went, but, you, but, 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 but you're not gay. I went, why, did I, why is this kissing a bloke that make you gay? Again, like... like just think of us as chimpanzees. Think of us as monkeys, space monkeys. Space monkeys. Think of us as that, like men that go to war. Like they fucking, they form a brotherhood. That's a brotherhood, that. You know, they're naked in front of each other. They watch each other's shit. They fucking have to, they've no choice but to be around each other. But we're in, we're in such a capacity to call that gay, right? Or, or well, it's to the same, It's the same with, with football players and hockey players and that. They do the exact same thing. It's a brotherhood, that. But it's, it's, it has to happen. Like, yes. I think for, for for male growth, it has to happen. And what we've done is, like, again, going back to the societal thing, we, we did this thing, like, well, as I said, we've told men they need to be softer, they need to open up, right? But systematically, we've shunned them for being... Being weak. For being, yeah, we call it a weakness, or, gay, or just call it gay. Like, the worst thing you can be called, especially as a young lad, is gay. You get labelled as gay, you're never living it down. I saw a video the other day um, of this, this black guy, and they were saying, like, we want you to um, say you stand with the pegging community because they need men to stand for the pegging community. And the guy goes, what's pegging? Yeah. <laughs> then it cuts to him going, letting a woman fuck you in the ass. 
And he's like, yeah, hell no. He goes, hell no, I ain't support that shit. My family, if anyone sees that, I don't want people to think that. And then as he goes on and he's going back and forth and he's basically going, fuck you, I ain't doing that. He then goes, all my life people call me gay. My family, my friends, all my life they call me gay. I cannot be seen supporting this. Because they say, you let a woman fuck you up the ass, you are gay. And then I sort of laughed, they're laughing about it. And all the people in the comments are laughing about it. No, no. And I was like, no, no, there's a, there's a message there. Yeah. yeah, whether or not he thinks Peggin's okay, right? The reason he can't is because all his life, people like, why are they like, yeah, why have they been called gays emasculating? Yes, it start, is right. Why, why is it that he was emasculated within his own community by people who he cared about by his family to a point that now he's like, and he was probably about 60 years old, right? It yeah. still fucking bothers him. And this is the problem we have within society of men, right? And yeah. then we start seeing it more and more now, like, um, in the new with. Witcher thing there's a whole gay love story with uh, Dandelion, Dandelion eh? yeah which just makes no sense because he's a womanizer yeah I said that to Amy because I said I heard that apparently Yasuke is gay and she just went she's played Witcher 3 and she just went what what yeah the the the, the biggest cock slinger and I mean girl yeah. slings a bit slings a bit of cock but no one slings cock like a bard you know no fucking up bards are literally like every every interpretation you see of a bard it's a fucking womanizer huh? yeah and, and I just sit there and go you know like now, when we start seeing men um, that, that are charismatic in TV, they're gay. It's destroying the most masculine character to that point yeah, where now they now they now know. they are they like cock and you're, you're telling me that Marvel won't make Gambit fuck men. If anything, Gambit's bi. I could settle for bi because he just he he, seen, he loves seems, attention. He seems the sort of guy who would fuck anything. Yeah, but they would they would be like no 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 he needs to be. Yeah. Apparently, Channing Tatum's playing him in in Deadpool three, just to give him that shot that he wanted. Well, he wanted it because yeah. he, he wanted to do the origins film. He, he was desperate. He was desperate. He fucking loves the character. Yeah, and then well, Gambit was, was one of my favorite X Men. Yeah, Gambit is my favorite X Men. Really? I, I, I loved all his backstory with Belladonna, all that stuff. You know, the the Thieves Guild and all that. Yeah. Um, but like you know, they they can't help themselves with this stuff, and it, and it just goes back to it. It's like, okay, so men touching each other is always gay. Like wrestling is gay. So many people say it's gay. It's well, of course it is. It's, 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 me, it's men in their underpants wrestling. So you have to have a little bit of gayness in you to enjoy it. Like, So it's, it's the flip side. Men need to open up. Watching football's a bit gay. Watching that sport's a bit gay. Like in UFC and wrestling's a bit gay. It's like they want it both ways. Because they want to be able to mock you for something that you enjoy by using... Gay as a slur, yeah. but they also want to. They also want to be woke and and we we love pride and all this stuff. And tell you need to open up more, you men. You need to realize that other things exist. It's like they want to have it both ways. They want to have their cake and eat it. It, it goes back to that. Men need to touch each other. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with physical contact with someone. No, hugging a cuddle is fucking sound as fuck. I'm always up for that. I like. Yeah, I literally yeah. hug people. I hug blokes on a daily basis. Having a, you know, especially if they're good. Especially if they're guys I've been friends with for over ten years. But even even for young men to just like, especially when you're in your like early twenties or late teens, to like get drunk with your mates and fucking throw each other in the pool or or wrestle each other on the beach when you're having a few drinks or oh yeah, that like, it's really fucking play fighting in the pool when you were a kid is fucking sound like we but, I still on holiday all the time, but you. The way I see it is, I think you're meant to do that up and up until your twenties. You're still meant to kind of do that, and we we don't. It's like when does it become uncomfortable to hug and kiss dad? You know, there I is an age. Still do. Well, I know, but I, there is an age where it's so uncomfortable for people to do that. Disagree. 
Well, for me, for me, for you, but I'm talking about in general. Well, yeah, I think I honestly think that is down to your upbringing. I think so, but I think I always had a very, I've always had a very, very close family bond with my. Like, I literally, whenever I see my brothers, it's all I always hug my brothers. Always, like I can't get away. I would not. I would not be able to get away. Brothers is brothers brothers is an interesting one, right? Because everyone I know who has brothers, I only have a sister. Everyone I know is a brother. Even as adults, they might tackle each other. Or get each other in a headlock. Like they're getting to punch up sometimes quite a bit, you know. Yeah. You know, like uh, I remember my friends, you know, in my mid twenties that had brothers. Like one of them gets too drunk and fuck, fuck off, you prick, and they go for each other because they're so comfortable with that. If they fight each other, there's no hard feeling. They know there's no hard feelings. They know there's no issue. Yeah, I think, so. and they never go too hard with each other because they are brothers. I right? mean, it's like well, again, mate of mine and his brother, not like that at all. Like they barely even really chat to each other that much. Weird. Yeah. They, they they still see each other like now because we they, we travel in the same in the same friend group. But like yeah, like there's, so there's that and there's like me and my brothers where I can't get away with not giving them a hug if I don't if I see them. But even though with my man, I still give my dad a kiss on the cheek and a hug whenever I whenever I whenever I say yeah. where I'm going. I mean I remember I remember being about fourteen and giving my dad a hug and suddenly going that's awkward if anyone saw it. And it wasn't because I thought anything of it. It's because I saw that people when I went to school didn't do that. Because they didn't have that sort of relationship. Yeah. So then it was, so now if I did that, I knew what would be said. Yeah. What's going on there, you know? So you stop doing, you, you fucking deny yourself that physical contact with someone that you love, yeah. like, that loves you. And you, you, you then put a layer of distance there. And I know like, you're going to get that. Women are different with their mums. They never, never think that they can't give mum a kiss and a hug, or dad a kiss and a hug. Women never have that, but like women might tell mum about their boyfriend or about. Well, that's your, that's your that's your main female companion. That. Yeah, you know, or like you know, they go on their it's period mom. for the first time. But guys would never go. Dad, why does my dick get hard? Mm. You know, they they just couldn't do it. But they need someone to talk to that about. So it'll be a friend or maybe an uncle or someone that you're comfortable with. Connected to but not closely bonded with. Not that close, you know. Yeah. Like no one's going to judge you for it, you know. Everyone, yeah. need, everyone needs that. And again, going back to the book, that's what Tyler is to, the narrator. to the narrator. Even though he's not real, that's what he is. Yeah. So we've spoke a lot about masculinity and about... <laughs> we've gone on about it for a while. <laughs> it, well, that's what it's about. Like when, when you hear um, Chuck and I talk about it, he goes, no, this is a book about masculinity. You know, a lot of people raise it a book about coming to terms of being gay. And he's like... Yeah, I saw that homo- goes, homoeroticism was a thing that came up. And I was just like, I wouldn't see this film as homoeroticism in any way. He, he, he says, like, well, I am gay. So that's going to come across. But it's not about coming to terms of being gay. I was well and truly gay by the time I... Yeah. You know, I was obviously gay by the time I fucking wrote Fight Club. I didn't yeah. need to worry about that. But what I wanted to, what I wanted to say is because we've mentioned... Jordan Peterson a lot. I've got some notes here about Peterson and about his belief system that I jotted down how they fit into Fight Club, right? So Peterson likes to discuss the uh, dichotomy of chaos and order. Clean your room. Yes. Thing. Yes. And it's like Which it's, I firmly agree with. And he says it's a fundamental part of the male experience. Right? Yeah. And in if you look at Fight Club and you look at like they want to create chaos, but in order to create chaos they have a strict order. order. Yeah. And if you look at, say, like um, Antifa, when they go and riot and kick off, well, they all dress the same. Mm. And they all arm up beforehand. They all know the location. There's an order to the chaos they cause. Yes. And, you know, that's a huge thing that Peterson has, is that, that 
um, to achieve your goals, you need order. And I, I, it was the first thing I thought of when trying to compare Fight Club to him. Because it, it was always been on my mind. When I hear Peterson say, I say he kind of, he's a soft Tyler Durden in a way, you know, with, with some of his messaging. He's a Canadian Tyler Durden. Yeah, it, exactly. It, the, the whole clean your room thing very much reminds me of Fight Club when they're having the people stand on the stairs outside and they're three like, days three days bring this certain outfit bring this they bake the bunk beds everything sort of they, it's a dilapidated shitty building but that area is theirs and it's been arranged and there's times they sleep and there's missions and all that very much aligns with Peterson's um, mindset on order. I was, trying to, I was going to say something that's completely gone from my fucking mind. Oh yeah, no, that was it. Was, sorry, it was, it was nothing to do with that. Actually, that it was just the scene popped into my head when um, he tells Meatloaf that he's too old and too fat. Yeah, and he goes to leave, and I literally just thought about it because obviously, when, when when you when you watching it for the first time, it just looks like that. It's just looks like the narrator's just told him like, no, just put up with it. It's fine. Just just wait it's three the same days. Person, dude. Yeah, but then I'm thinking, what is he? What does he? What does what does Bob see? Bob sees when he's literally seen when tell he's him to fuck off, fuck off, and then tell him to wait. Yeah, and then tell him to wait. And I'm just like, and I, the more I think about it, and like, you see these little subtle hints, especially with Marla, she sees and she picks up on it, and obviously having known how the film progresses and the ending and everything like that, and the fact that it's a dual personality, you see her reactions like when she's um, been fucking Tyler for like a day straight. And then he's down having breakfast and he just goes, what the fuck are you doing here? And that sudden twist and she's just like, you're a piece of shit. You're a piece of shit. Fuck you. And you're just like, well, that's kind of weird to say that. But then you realise that because the reason she literally had just been fucking him. And then, and then all of a sudden he's telling her, what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah, And she says, you fuck me, then snub me. You love me, you hate me. You show me your sensitive side and then you turn into a total arsehole. But um, I'm and she goes, I don't know what to do with you, Tyler. And that's when he goes, Fuck. Yeah. What did you just call me? But it, but it's it's all the it's like it's, so it's literally that these guys in Project Mayhem and Fight Club. I've seen a guy do this. I've shit. literally seen a guy, one guy, switch personalities on a whim, and it's. Is this a test, sir? But it, but it gets to the point where certain people are so involved in it and they know about it. Like when he gets when he goes to the poli- when he goes to the police about it. You said you would and, say that, sir. And yeah, and you you said you would say that, sir. And he was just like, wait, what the fuck? But sorry, that was a completely different subject. No, no, no. But it just popped it, into my head. Yeah, but you're right, because it starts with the, the, the Bob thing, him seeing them both ways. And yeah, like, because again, like, what what Jordan likes to say with that stuff is where he likes to talk about individualism and taking individual responsibility versus collectivism. Yeah. You know, if you just follow someone blindly without thinking about it. And the weird thing is, Tyler is very against individualism. Um He's well, he like, takes away their names. Yeah. Takes away their IDs. He literally holds on. You see it on the wall, eh? The, um, what is it? Oh, God. It's, it really struck me today because I noticed it. But when he leaves, when 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 the narrator's looking for Tyler after he's disappeared for a couple of days, he closes the door and it's literally, oh, is it the, is it the sacrifice list or something like yeah, that? Yeah. He's got a list of all everybody's ID that's in Project Mayhem. No, no, that's the IDs of the people. You know when he gets the uh, little Chinese guy and he goes, what did you want to be? That's ah, their. That's the that's IDs of all it. them. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Never did check up on him. I'm curious if he ever became no, he a vet. No, he never was going to. He was never going to. He, 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 I wonder was, if he ever became a vet. I, I, I would guess he did. But but the message of uh, individualism versus collectivism is um, it, it's so easy to lose yourself within a collective. And this is something that both Fight Club and Jordan Peterson both speak of, both warn you of. Peterson will say it in a more, you know, academic sense. 
he'll talk the uh, diminished responsibility, copying others, going with the crowd. Well, Fight Club shows you the destructive nature of becoming part of such a collective. The flip side is there's power in coming together. There's power in uniting under a shared goal, but you lose a lot of your own uh, self-determination along the way, right? Yeah. Like, why they do find Brotherhood, the Space Monkeys, why they do find um, a leader in Tyler, like, they have given up their individual responsibility. They've given up everything. Yeah, to be part of it, which is what he warns about. And you look at that and go, like, there's a... They're both saying the same thing, but in different ways. You know, one's showing one's showing you what happens to these people. Tyler doesn't care about the space monkeys. In fact, the narrator does. You know, especially when Bob dies. Yeah, he's just like, no, fuck, what are you doing, you lunatic? His name. Whereas Tyler's was like, oh Robert no, Paulson. they have to die. Of course, they have to die. Like, they're expendable. The space monkeys. That's why they're called space monkeys because we used to send rockets with monkeys in that were never coming home. Yeah. You know, or still, dogs and all sorts of shit. They're still floating about there now. So, like, that that's another thing I had. And then I was, talking, I was thinking about the creation of Fight Club at the beginning, you know. It's very similar to the cleaning your room, going back, to, going back to that. It's challenging men who are dissatisfied with their current results and their current life. Yeah, because a lot of the guys are in bullshit, mundane, crappy jobs. But all of them, like, whether they be a guy who works in an office or a guy who works behind the bar, this doesn't satisfy them, right? Would it satisfy you? No, but you know, does any of our jobs satisfy us? No, no, right? Peterson kind of has the same thing. When he says clean your room, it's like start small. Yeah. Create a space that you're happy in. Be, be happy happy that your room is clean yeah. and, and organised. Like, and, and, and not only that, you have control over that space. Yes. I have control over this space. And, and Tyler's philosophy is you need to let go of that other space to take control of your lives. He's very cult leader-like in the fact that, like, when Fight Club starts... Oh, it's a massive cult. He's not all, like, shaved head space monkey. He's just, like, give in to this primal reality, this primal truth, and reclaim your masculinity. But then he, he moves it on to join my cult. Yeah, but it kind of happens by accident. Because you think it's just... The narrator calls him after his, after Tyler blows up his, his, his apartment... Well, again, the destruction of the part the, of the apartment is like cleaning the room. Definitely cleaning the room. It is right. It's it's yeah. this shit in this room means nothing to you. It's not going to bring you happiness. Get rid of it. It's the same mentality. It's why it's why Peterson kept coming to mind when I reread it, and I think it's because I watched a lot of interviews with Chuck Palahniuk, and he would say stuff about masculinity and say stuff about like what men need. And it was very close to the Peterson stuff. That when he was on Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan brought up Peterson multiple times mm. because you, you like know, there are some things that are just intrinsic to men, like the hero's journey and these things. You know, that's why Joe Rogan mentioned it because it, it comes up the the stories like that, the uh, monomyth as they call it, or the uh, the Greek legends, right? The Greek stories, the Greek tales. And somewhere in our lives, what three... they're, what they're all demigods who no. who were cast out by their families. But not just them. The that story, became heroes. The, the stories of a Nancy, the story, the, all of it, right, follow a guy who goes through a certain set of challenges to overcome them. Whether he's good or evil, whether he's bad or not, whether it's Loki, whether it's Thor, whether it's a Nancy, whether it's a Greek gods. Like, there is a, there is a tale that always kind of culminates in someone triumphing over others based on their strength or their wit. I know, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 every, every, 
every Greek story, every every uh, Norse story always follows the same pattern of, yeah, they go against the bad, they overcome the bad. It's just those characters are flawed or dickheads. Yeah, well, a lot of them are dickheads. But then you, you if you look at say westerns, all these things do them. But but the the best example of it, unfortunately, is Star Wars. Like, you have a guy in a comfortable life, Luke. He wants more out of his life, but he... He's content. He's, he's only 17 at the time. He's a young lad, you know, and he's got his family, and they forbid him from doing stuff. He meets the wise sage. But he's told not to talk to him because he's a crazy man. Yeah, but he, he, he meets the wise sage, uh, and, and during meeting the wise sage, there's a call to adventure, which is Leia's call for help. Yeah. Right? At that point, he could ignore the call for help and go back to his, his normal life. However... The evil has already destroyed his normal life and he cannot return to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He now could run away or he has to accept the adventure in front of him. One thing about that, um, not just, just it issue just popped into my mind talking about Star Wars and that and how uh, and, and Uncle Ben and Aunt Peru are killed. You see skeletons outside of their house. Burnt out, yeah. What the fuck did the stormtroopers use there? Because they've just got blasters. The flamethrowers that you see, that flame them up, I guess. Flame troop, flame scout, flame yeah, troopers. Flame troopers, yeah. So, so you have which you call- never ever see in the film in the no. next three films again. So you have the call to adventure, yeah, and you have the mentor, and then the mentor dies. So now he has to do it himself. No one else can do this journey. No one else can be the hero because the guy who should be the hero, the mentor, is gone. Yeah, he has to step up. But he has to surround himself with good people to do so. And then he wins. Triumphs over evil. Every time. But that is like every story ever written. Yeah, majority of those stories are literally, yeah, the, the good guy good or good always triumphs over evil. But he has to go through those stages of being ripped from his... He has to grow in order to become the hero he's yeah, supposed which to be. Yeah, which is, you know, when we go back to like these ones of these women, they're already perfect by the time they get into the adventure. There's they don't no, need to learn anything. There's just, no... Um, Adversity. You know, when, you know, we start with Luke's kind of a pussy. Well, he's just a kid. He's a kid, yeah. He doesn't he's a kid, know he's kid. He's kid, a kid he's grown up on a fucking he, milk farm. He's one skill. He's a good little pilot on his little... That's his one skill. And he can shoot... Oh, I can't remember the fucking term. Was it he can shoot a swamp, swamp rat from, yeah. like, so many distances yeah. away? And, and that, But that's it. And he's never been able to use that talent. He's never been... I mean, he's an amazing pilot to say he's never flown in a fucking X-Wing before. But that's what I mean, because he's just... He has a natural talent he's never been able to... Because he gets it from his dad. <laughs> but yeah, you know, this is the whole ultimate message of of what Fight Club is, is is the hero's journey. You have a guy who is stuck in his mundane life, mm-hmm. who meets a wise sage, yep. who loses everything, and then goes on the call of adventure to a point that he's the one who has to solve the problem in the end because the wise sage dies, which is no, the wise sage turns on him and is source of evil in this case but it's, it's very, and there's a princess you know, that he has to save in a way like a, low, low, a low class princess <laughs> fuck right, as she says in the book over and over she just says human butt wipe that's kind of how she refers to each, herself and him yeah like human butt wipe but yeah some might wonder why I'm comparing what happens in Fight Club to uh, Peterson but this just boils down to lost men looking for guidance so they don't feel so lost all the time. If you like Peterson or you don't like Peterson, uh, that's none of my business. But the symptom of essentially two generations of men who have lost 
purpose is very apparent in modern society and both deal a lot with the idea of like accountability tyler is forcing the narrator and members of project mayhem to take accountability right and um the that accountability helps you focus on meaning and and way more meaning than you know buying the fucking ikea sofa and drinking a starbucks coffee yeah and you know and then if, if we look at the uh, narrator's battle with tyler and his struggle to regain his life back yeah again it falls back to peterson telling people stop jerking off stop fucking only fan looking at this shit stop 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 going down these destructive pathways in your life stop you know, like the way he speaks yeah, but i'm trying to picture, i'm trying to get his voice toned down yeah, to it's work like on a, it. you know con- confront confront and eliminate the destructive influence in your life is yeah. a huge part of what he says and again once the narrate, narrator realizes the situation that's what he has to do. He step has to, up. He has to step up and confront that in his life. And it, I mean, there are so many good lessons in the book and the movie Fight Club that I think a lot of people miss. I think maybe they intentionally miss it. Like we were talking about their love for Patrick Bateman. They're really missing... The, the main point of him is... Well, the point is he doesn't fit in and that it's all superficial and that it's turned him into a monster because he can't live this way this not yeah. who he's lying it's a, he lives a constant lie yeah yeah but they look at it as going it's a successful man who doesn't take shit it's like a no, weird it's really really not it's a man who hates his surroundings with a passion that he wishes he could literally if he could get away with it he would kill every single one of them without a second thought they're, that's why i said they're very similar stories without being remotely like each other is that both characters the narrator and bateman feel that way about life yeah. They don't fit in. It's all fake. It's all false. It's all com- consumerist. It's all plastic. And I need to do something to make this mean something. They just go about in very, very different ways. Yeah. Know? There's a part of Fight Club. Um, let me see my quotes. At the time, my life seemed too complete. And maybe we have to break everything to make something better for ourselves. And that's, again, like, like how many men do you think are in the world that feel like that? Tons. They have to. It's like there's so many. I, I have everything. The modern life. I have everything I need, but it means nothing. Because it literally does mean nothing. Yeah. There is. I wouldn't call it a communist message to Fight Club because I think if you were to say to Tyler Durden about collectivism and communism, he would laugh in your face. But there's definitely a hatred towards consumerism. Massively. People do confuse capitalism and consumerism. Capitalism. Capitalism would be I invent a product. You need said product, you pay me for said product. Yes. I use the money you give me to improve said product and pay my staff and expand my operation. That's capitalism as a whole. Yes. Which is where, how things should work anyway. Where we where we live now, like the society we live now is like they don't they they've changed it, right? So it's not capitalism. It's like perpetual growth, a constant need to earn more. So it's like I give you. I make product. You like product. You give me money for product because product improves your life. I use money to keep and pay people less and barely improve product. In fact, sometimes product gets worse, but you still need product. So well, let's look at let's look at something simple. Let's look at chocolate bars. Chocolate bars have gotten smaller and thinner, yet cost more. And the ingredients are becoming more full of shit than they were fifty years ago. Yes. 50 years ago, they had four ingredients. Now they have 25 ingredients. 
things. Yes, and a massive and a massive chemical table of what's in them. Yeah, and it's it, and it's literally that, and it's like that's not what capitalism is. That is consumerism for a start. But like, I don't know what you'd call it. Like the the constant need to make more every year. Like my company made a profit of twenty million this year. So I've given all my staff a raise. Um, and then there's ten million for me. Next year, I have to make thirty million. Like you can't be content with making the same every year. Making the same every year, you always need more. more. And I think that that constant chase for more is what sort of creates inflation and these things like that. It's a constant need for greed. And it is greed. It, it's it's, and I think a lot of these people that are communists that that want socialism and hate capitalism, they're missing. No, capital is the first thing I said. Use money to improve product. Yes, to make Im- it better. That creates more demand, which means I hire more people and enrich more people's lives. Yes. If if the product's doing really well, I can pay them more and pay myself more, and I can make the product better continuously. Mm-hmm. I can continuously improve on the product. It's kind of the Elon Musk way of doing things. Mm. He's very much about proving his product. He could have invented the Tesla car he made 10 years ago and just kept it like that. But well, it's innovation. Is he wants to improve it, and the money goes towards improving it. You you could have that mentality, or you could have the mentality of just keep churning out the same shit and charging more. They're two separate mentalities, and I think Fight Club, as a rule, speaks more towards the constant need to replace things more than it does capitalism. Hmm. You know, the constant hmm. need to just buy shit you don't need, literally. Worker jobs that you hate to keep a system in motion that doesn't care about the people within it. That's a bigger message than let's be communist. And this is currently the world we live in. More so than we did when the movie and the book came out. But then writers have been trying to tell this story for years. Great Gatsby, for example, that you know has a similar message. Um, but in say the last twenty years or so, we kind of stopped telling this story. Like, where do we look? For strong male rebel characters today, right? And when I say male, I mean masculine characters. We haven't got Stone Cold Steve Austin raising hell and beating his boss's ass on TV every week. Don't have that anymore. We don't have the Tyler Durden's on the movie screen. We 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 don't get any of that. We even like a few years ago, we don't have any Walter Whites anymore. Everybody's been nerfed. Everyone's been nerfed, yeah. And you get a few occasional... They'll escape the... Uh, yeah, you like Yellowstone or something, you know, that will escape that. Yeah. And they become hugely popular, or, or as we already mentioned today, you know, Sound of Freedom. We have something that comes out that fucking breaks out of this mould. But like, it's, it's universally condemned. I mean, people call Yellowstone a right-wing power fantasy all the time. A lot of people call it Sons of Anarchy. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, Sons of Anarchy got a lot of stick. So, and, you know... Um, Sons of Anarchy got a lot of stick for being transphobic, and it has one of the most beautiful transgendered stories I've ever seen in anything. Oh, Walter Goggins. You fuck it. Fucking he's great character. Amazing character. Walter, Walter Goggins was fantastic. That love man. story, you root for them. Yeah. Like, you know it's taboo. Like And, and the way the character is introduced is kind of a joke at the beginning, but they... And it's, but one of them, they believe they like them. They like them being around. They're, they're part of the people that they care about, the, the, the group care about. Again, like... Where are you getting that story? And again, you know, Jax is another character that goes through the hero's journey. The call to adventure, having a wise sage, the wise sage turns on him, which is obviously Clay, and then having to be the man who has to sacrifice everything for the greater good. It's a... 
Yeah. But yeah, like so, yeah, Sons of Anarchy does that a lot. Like, but you couldn't. I don't know if um, people people keep saying this. You couldn't make that today, and then people go, "Yes, you could." No, studios wouldn't greenlit. They wouldn't agree with this too. today. No, the people that are in charge are too worried about one their ESG rating, but two this sort of online Twitter backlash, which is such a small population of the world that no, you shouldn't even listen to those fucking. The problem they're worried about things that trend, but trend things trend so fucking easily these yeah, days. Yeah, they know that within a day they're forgotten. Yeah, but I think this is why older movies like Fight Club are being found by a new audience because they aren't getting the kind of story told to them now. I mean, I remember finding um, kind of like finding Jesus, but for me, I found Fight Club. I found uh, Tyler Durden. I was at school and uh, and hearing kids talk about Fight Club. You're not supposed to talk about Fight Club. Exactly. And they made it sound shit. Really? Yeah. Oh, there's this bit and they blow up this and they fucking fight this and then he fucks the bird in the house with the geezer in it. And I'm like, oh, this sounds like shit, right? Yeah. And it was weird because I remember these guys. I liked films like Snatch and Lockstock, right? Yeah. But I remember these same guys had watched those movies and were like, oh, he fucking beats him with the dildo. Like, they were just... They were just dickheads at my school, right? <laughs> that seems amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. But he it's proceeded like, to beat poor Tim to death with the first thing he could find, which just happened to be a 15-inch black rubber cock. But it's like they didn't understand the humour of it. They sort of went, oh, violence, yeah, right? And when they were praising Fight Club, I went, I ain't watching that shit. Really? I was like, I ain't watching it. No, fuck that. It was out in the cinema at the time. I was like, yeah. oh, no, 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 I ain't going to see that. Fucking Fight Club, fuck off. Like, I knew nothing about it. Hmm. And then a year later, not like you go on YouTube and watch a trailer, eh? It might even be, it might be the same year because I don't know when the film came out, but not long afterwards, uh, ninety nine. Yeah, so not long after it came out, my dad rented it from Blockbuster. Right, so maybe that's six months after. Yeah, and we just sat down and watched it, and everything I thought it was from these these idiots. And I left. I think I'd probably left school at that point because I left school in two thousand. Right. Right. I remember watching it, and it just sort of changing as a young lad hmm. and making me look at things and I think I still there's a lot of it that still carries with me like, but Fight Club really stuck with me that when I watched it I went out and bought the book which is right here this is my first fucking copy of the book it's so old yeah copyright 1996 wow first edition and it's like old as fuck and as soon as I knew it was a book I went and bought the book yeah but I picked up Fight Club and it made me want to read books it made me want to write too Mm. The whole that whole thing just changed how I saw that medium. Yeah, you know, like it's like it's, and I think it's probably hard for people to be able to pinpoint it. I can pinpoint it because I because that book was a big book. <laughs> that book was, you know, I mean, like the people yeah. that sit there and go without Harry Potter, they would have never read any books. You know, yeah. there's a lot of people. Well, Fight Club was my Harry Potter. <laughs> I'm trying to pinpoint like what what because I I when I was a kid and even in secondary school it was like wasn't interested in reading. No, no, was I? Like uh, the ones at school made us. Yeah, my men, my men, I really liked that. Yeah, I did as well. It wasn't until I was at work. All the all the old boys used to read newspapers, and I was like, "Fuck it, I need to read something because no one talks at lunch breaks because everybody's reading." Yeah, I like, fuck it, I'm gonna read books. Can't remember what the fuck it was though. What my first book was. King? Got, Stephen King? No, yeah. I don't remember, honestly. I don't remember what it was. But it, it fucking, it, whatever it was, it started off that ignition that got me into reading some amazing series of books. You know, obviously, Fight Club's in there, Survivor was one of them, obviously, American Psycho, 
Battle Royal, which is a, which is a book I've read four times. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a, it. the movie's great, but the book is the book's on another level. So different, yeah. So yeah. I, I, I can't wait to cover that one. Actually, I'm really excited about that one. But then it got me into also it got me into Lord uh, Lord of the Rings. I actually read Lord of the Rings. After that, I read Game of Thrones, Harry Potter. Um, the Witcher, you read those? Read all the Witcher yeah. books. Um, yeah, obviously a lot of Stephen King. And- yeah, I've read Shining, Christine, I've read fucking The Strand. Uh, I've read a few, good, good few. I've read most of the Dark Tower series. Yeah, they're great. But I got to book five and I was like, I need a break. Yeah, you know, it's just that getting, getting into books, like everyone needs that gateway into it. But I was lucky enough for it to be something like Fight Club. It's a very fucking hard book to follow, to be honest. Yeah. You know, but it definitely made a, a fucking a difference to me as a, a person in a in a big way, like a very big way. Like um, you just slowly start realizing, especially when you get older, especially when you hit your thirties, you start realizing how much stuff from your past has actually made you the person you are. I think it's the, the first time you start reflecting on your life is when you hit your thirties, right? You don't. Yeah, no, actually, to be honest, the past year I've been really kind of coming to terms with the idea of how what I'm with certain things in my life that are we're he- I'm heading in this certain direction, and I'm actually now starting to be quite comfortable with the idea. Yeah, it takes time to reflect and uh, understand things. You got to listen to yourself or listen to the Tyler in your head. You need that voice. You need that voice to just fucking kick you in the ass and make you do dumb shit or yeah. make you stand up for yourself or make you be brave or make you be catastrophic because, you know, you have to hit bottom before you can build up. Or, you know, you've got to understand what's at stake, know what's hit, what, what hitting bottom looks like. Uh, and, and once you get a bit older and you've taken a few beatings, uh, you know, thing. anyway, uh, we should probably talk about Chuck himself for a second. Like, he's a very strange guy. Uh, if you ever hear him in interviews or anything, he says some bizarre stuff and he, he tells some really dark stories. He loves writing dark stories. His short stories are incredibly dark. Um, I've recently read his two short story books. Uh, one's called Haunted. And I can't even, for the life of me, can't remember the other one. Um, <laughs> you know how that works. But yeah, like he, he tells some great, great ones. You know, he tells one uh, about a guy who got his ass stuck inside a jacuzzi uh, while he was jerking off, and he got his innards sucked out, and he kind of had to explain it. And he's so vivid about like sweet corn and shit floating in this jacuzzi, and then the family had to tell the family had to tell the neighbours that the dog got stuck and died, and also like it, it, they they had to lie about it. And like he tells stories like that, and then he's got one about um, kids who who are gay and and they go to the gay conversion camp. And I really don't want to spoil that, but his writing style, you know. And um, one thing I like about his writing style is he, you know, he um, he likes his characters to have these quirks, these weird quirks. You know, Fight Club, Tyler likes to slice dicks into movies. Survivor has Tender Branson's suicide line, and uh, Choke is about a sex addict who likes to pretend he chokes on food in restaurants and that people save his life. And then they send him birthday and Christmas cards and money and, and you know, well, Snuff as well. well Snuff is about a world uh, record orgy attempt. And uh, it all takes place in that orgy, obviously. And uh, you know, I don't want to small out um, that book, though, because it's great. Um, I think they were going to make a movie at some point of uh, Snuff, but I'm, I'm not quite sure now if they if they were. So, yeah, I didn't realise um, only two of um, Chuck's books have actually been made into films. Yeah. Being Fight Club and Choke. Yeah. But like you said, Snuff was 
put up for being made into a film, but nothing's really come of it. But, you know, a lot of books get picked up, uh, get screenplays written, and then they go nowhere. Brett Easton Ellis said uh, most of his books have been picked up and they've just been sat on for years and years and years. So I imagine it's the same for Chuck. Just imagine how good Survivor would be as a TV show, for example. Survivor, I was like, that was I didn't realize literally just looking up his bibliography that that was his second book because that was the second one I'd ever read by him. It's such a good fucking book. Like in 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 every way you could want a book. It's funny. Yeah, the it's, man's quite good. He churns out like nearly one a year. He does churn out a lot, but there's a lot of short stories in there as well. You'll find like he's, a lot of them will be full of short stories and short fiction. Yeah, he's he's done shitloads of short fiction. Yeah. But no, I mean actual just general novels. He's churning out nearly one a year. I mean, yeah, he smashes them out. You know, while some of them they take forever to get a new book out. Craig Clevenger's another one. If you like Chuck's work, check out Craig. He's got three books. Um, the Contortionist Handbook is his first book, I believe. Heard of that? One of my favorite books. It's such a good book. And then um, I'm not going to uh, try and pronounce his second book, but that's also very good. And then again, it took him maybe 15 years to write his recent one, which I just read, which is Mother How. Like he just did not write another book for 15 or 20 years. You know, mm. just some people are like that though. It it just some people just get that one hit, and then it takes them ages to write another one. You got writer's block or just just unmotivated you get fuckers it. like Stephen King sometimes they're writing two at once yeah but he'll be writing one book while he's planning a second one yeah no he looking at it he's well one in 1983 he released Christine Pet Cemetery, and Cycle of the Werewolf all in the same year yeah it's like that is that's mad mm. to write three and Christine's like 800 pages on, on its own same again in 84 he released another four, three books in, in 1984 Thinner the Eyes of the Dragon and the Talisman all in 84 yeah, so you know he's definitely working on all these at the same time I'm looking sorry I'm just looking at some of these books that he released in certain years and like having read certain certain books from these from these these ones like it's mad that he wrote the dark, like the second part of the Dark Tower, Misery, and the Tommy Knockers in the same year. A very interesting book. What do you think? Like, okay, so 1996, he wrote The Green Mile, Desperation, and The Regulators all in one year. Regulators is great. I really like The Regulators. But I think we're done with this one. We're going to have to do a King episode on it at some point. Oh, do you know I think there'd, be, there'd have to be multiple King episodes because yeah. there's just so many fucking books to talk about. Yeah, we've both read way too much of his work to kind of just distill it into one thing. Read or watched? Both, or both, yeah, yeah. Yeah. However, that's us. Yeah. Done for this one. Um, for the Fight Club fans listening to this, are like, man, you talked about masculinity a lot. Yeah, that was kind of the point of the book. It's one of the major plot. One of the major criticisms in in its in its own right for that was its its masculinity message. You well, a lot of people call it toxic masculinity, yeah. but only if you ignore the nuance behind what it's trying to tell men. Mm. It's not telling men to be toxic. It's telling men that you've been watered down. It's telling men that you need to go out, plot and blow up banks. Yeah, I mean, if everyone went and blew up banks today... And then we all beheaded the uh, politicians and hunted down everyone with key influence, we would live in a better world. <laughs> Fucking right. Yeah. But no, that's it for this one. I hope you did enjoy it. A bit different. The first piece of literature we've actually covered, but yeah. it's something we've talked about for a while. Um, 
Shout out to Tim because I told him the other day I was doing fight. We were doing Fight Club, and he was like, "About fucking time! I've been waiting for this one." Oh, really? So yeah, because we've yeah. mentioned it a few times. Yeah, we've mentioned that we'd be it doing too. Fight Club and American Psycho. Um, we're probably going to try and fit another crime one in next. Might be Unabomber. We discussed it last. We did time. discuss Unabomber again. He's another one I've seen a lot of memes of him. People praising him since he died. There was um, I got suggested one, but it was recommended one by a friend, uh, a friend of actually who listens to the podcast. She literally just recently listened to an episode. So, um, a child killer who's literally recently getting convicted. Yeah. Yeah, literally, like, her trial is pretty much getting to its conclusion now she's getting sentenced. Um, Lucy Letbo. She is she was a nurse who killed kids. So it might be someone to dive into. It could be. Fresh yeah. off the topic and everything. But yeah, so we're probably going to come back with a crime one. Um, we will try and finish Black Mirror this year. I know from the listenership of the last one that it dipped with Black Mirror. Really? And I... I wonder if it's just... We took too long. No, I wonder if the brand is damaged. The Black Mirror brand is damaged after season five. I wonder if season six didn't... Do as well. Do as well, you know. And we'd have to look that up when we do the next Black Mirror one. But we will try and get those in before the end of the year. We're going to get some more true crime in. I think the next book we might try and do is going to either be Battle Royale or American Psycho. So... Well, we're going to tackle both of them anyway. So it's just a case of... Which one comes first, but... um, Yeah, we might flip a coin. Yeah, much like with you guys when you're with your missuses, uh, you always come first. Uh, well, she never comes at all. But take care, guys, and um, I hope you enjoyed this one. See you, guys.